York sports fans, I am, yes, Danielle McCartan. Danielle, at Sunday dinner time, I'll be talking all things New York sports with you right up till 10 p.m. 9 p.m. it is, and so I'm sorry. 9 p.m. here in New York City and beyond. Uh, whatever you're doing at the moment, I appreciate you tuning into the show right now and throughout the next couple of hours, whether that be on your car radio, streaming from WFN.com, or on the free Odyssey app. Thank you, thank you, and thank you again. Of course, we're here in the Big Apple, and Connor Green and I are coming to you live from the Carton and Roberts studio, the Mike Francesa studio here in Lower Manhattan. Lots of traffic getting in today, almost two hours, but I'm here ready to go, and you can start dialing 877-337-6666. Of course, taking your calls right here in this first segment, so get aboard. And, of course, a happy Mother's Day to both my mom and to you and to your family on this beautiful Mother's Day edition of Sunday Fun Day. Uh, you know, my sports career, playing career growing up would have not been complete without mom shuttling me and my brother to all of our different things, practices, games, whatever it may be. So uh, thanks, mom. I know she's listening right now. Anyway. Uh, on to other things <laughs> following the Yankee game. I got to tell you, let me back this up for a second because I was at the Yankee game taking in my first game as a fan on Friday night. And I, I ran a group outing for many of my teacher friends and a big group of us. It was a fun time. And it just, you know, I didn't pick it on purpose. Uh, but so far this season, I've been to two games as a fan and they have both been on bobblehead night. Once in uh, in San Diego, I got a Juan Soto bobblehead about three weeks ago at this point, and now I have an Anthony Rizzo Mandalorian bobblehead. So be it. But it also happened to be Star Wars night. And, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Star Wars, I'm going to be honest. And I know some of you listening right now, you might be shaking your head at your radio. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. But um, because I got there so much earlier than everyone else in the group, I'm like, Really, a lot earlier. I was kind of just, honestly, just meandering about the stadium. Uh, just waiting for them to get there. Just, you know, waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally it happened. But just meandering. I was walking through the grade hall. I went up the ramp. You know, just around. Okay? Just around. And in the corridor by that pitching cage, you know, the one with the, you could throw the ball and it's got the radar gun to check your own speed and all that. Um, I saw... An A-list of Star Wars characters, you know, waiting for a, a, a photo op, right? And uh, so I, not a huge Star Wars fan, but I recognize a lot of those characters, if not all of them. But, uh, you know, me with my Rizzo Mandalorian bobblehead in hand, got in line. I took a picture with Darth Vader, group, group picture, Everybody, group group assembly here, Darth Vader, Princess Leia, Chewbacca, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I posted it. You can check it out at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. But I have a thing, just a thing about people wearing masks like that, like when you can't see their face at all, you know, adults. So I, I walked up to Darth Vader and I said, you scare me. <laughs> and he said, oh, come on, I'm the nicest guy here. And he gave me like one of those little shoulder hugs. All right, fine. Anyway, as I'm walking away from the photo op, there's this quote from Darth Vader that just popped into my mind. And the quote was, I find your lack of faith disturbing. Actually, I do. I guess I find your lack of faith disturbing. Okay. 
By the way, that's mom checking in. She says, you're welcome. <laughs> I guess for shuttling me. But um, I find your lack of faith disturbing. And that kind of hit on a different level for me as I'm meandering about Yankee Stadium. Remember when we, you and I, pressed the panic button when I was with you on April 30th? Well, since then, Harrison Bader is back in the lineup and on the field. Did you see his catch today on the warning track? Did you see it? It had a 35% catch probability. He saved easily two to three runs on that catch. And he topped out at 29 miles per hour. Are you kidding? I mean, Harrison Bader on that play would have gotten a ticket in a school zone. And it also goes without saying the impact now that Aaron Judge has both on the field and back in that lineup. And Aaron Boone kind of agreed with my thoughts after the game, and he said, this is a quote here, he said, I, I think getting some guys back in the mix, and I'm going to add, you know, paraphrase it here and just say, builds confidence. And you know what? It's showing. So as this Death Star is incrementally inching back up toward fully operational status, you know, maybe my lack of faith at the time, April 30th, was disturbing. But the Yankees have turned it around. These Yankees are finally showing some fight. And we are, right now, in this moment, it is nowhere near as dire as it was when you and I were together back on April 30th. Who knew that seven games against baseball's best, the Tampa Bay Rays, would do that for you? In these last couple games, the Yankees who put themselves in a position to be chasing the Rays all season long. The Yankees, who are still without Luis Severino, expected late May, by the way, soon enough. Um, They're still without Carlos Rodon, who was the Yankees' big fish free agent, whether you wanted him or not, and you know I didn't. The Yankees are still without Giancarlo Stanton, Frankie Montas, Jonathan Jonathan the Wiseguy, etc., etc., etc. Josh Donaldson, if you want to include him in that. But he's a starter, so maybe we should. The Yankees, who who are not yet a fully operational Death Star, have figured it out. They're going to be all right. You know how I know? Like I said, this team is finally showing some fight. And you just have this feeling that no matter what, they're going to win the game. And that's a feeling that I haven't had until this point this season so far. And I know I definitely did not have that season, that, that feeling, back on April 30th when I took the picture with the panic, Geo's panic button over there next door in the other studio. I didn't have that feeling. But today, just look at today. Abreu gave up a, a two-out grand slam in the fifth inning. Fifth inning. Not the first, not the, the fifth, to make it 8-4. And the Yankees were not out of it later in the game. Until, you know, let's go back to the Grand Slam for a second. Four straight change-ups by Abreu. A guy who only throws his change-up about 16% of the time decided, yes, four straight change-ups to a major league batter is exactly what I'm going for. I don't know what he was thinking. I, I mean, was the pitch comm malfunctioning? I mean, even I, as a batter, even I could probably square up and time up the fourth 89 mile an hour changeup in a row. What are they thinking? This is on the Grand Slam. And Aaron Boone wasn't 
really that concerned in the postgame. And I'm not sure why not, because he said, this was a quote, he said, I think not executing the pitch when you're heading the count, that's what got him in trouble. What? Execution? Not the game plan? Not the strategy? It's the execution that bothers you? It's the game plan that bothers me. But push that aside, I really did not like what Albert Abreu told Meredith in the clubhouse after the game. She even gave him a, like a like almost like a mulligan on the answer. And essentially, he had no regrets throwing four changeups in a row. Like, what? And through Marlon Abreu, the translator, he's a great guy, by the way, he said it was a, quote, missed location, and when you do that, you end up paying for it. Okay, fine, but then, again, he doubled down and, and then said, quote, we execute that pitch. I think we get the result that we want. Like, newsflash, you aren't going to be able to execute that pitch four times in a row in a Major League Baseball game. It's just not going to happen. Again, for a guy who only throws his changeup 16% of the time. That also tells me there's not much confidence in that pitch. So to throw it four times in a row at 89 miles an hour, you're asking for trouble. But, nonetheless, here's what I was talking about. The Yankees... Battled back. Again, something you did not see happening early on in this season. And they battled back again against the baseball's best, Tampa Bay Rays. Point to the seventh. Cabrera gets on. Torres had a pinch hit single. And with two outs, that was. He gave Aaron Judge a chance. That's all you were asking for. And Judge delivered it. R- RBI single. Cut the score to 8-5. to five. Then they clawed back a little bit more in the eighth. DJ LeMayu, leadoff batter, poked an outside pitch down down the line in right field. And then two hours later, Anthony Volpe, very comfortable in that seven spot in the lineup, drilled a two-out, two-run home run to left field. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it was eight to seven Rays. Volpe, by the way, has three home runs over his last five games. Great. Again. He's here to stay. Then, of course, the bottom of the ninth, Aaron Judge got a chance to give us some free baseball. Jason Adam, the Rays pitcher, thought it was gone. Judge initially thought it was gone. Every person in Yankee Stadium thought it was gone. Connor and I thought it was gone. Until it wasn't. Damn, Yankees lose 9-8 by a foot. But the one thing I will say that I did not like in this whole epic, you know, Herculean comeback, callback, Gleyber Torres, in that bottom of the ninth, he was chased by an inside pitch, and he's got all that armor on his arm, all of it. Why not take one for the team? Like, are you kidding me? He backed up like he was scared about Like, Keep that armored elbow in there and take it. And he ultimately hit a lazy pop-up to a Rosarina. And in the end, it didn't matter anyway. But still, whatever it takes to win, right? The guts, the, the grinta to win the game. Torres should have let the ball hit him there. Sorry. Especially with the armor on his arm. But the most encouraging thing for me, too, is rewind a day. How the Yankees... Mounted that comeback against the Rays yesterday, Saturday, 
a little thing called small ball. Of course, they had some firepower from Judge and Higashioka. Fine. But, again, look at Anthony Volpe. He's the first Yankee, by the way, to steal 13 career bases without getting caught. But a bun single, a steal of second base, a steal of third base, and a score on a wild pitch. And I love it because in Saturday's game, the Yankees finally showed that they can scrap for some runs and not have to rely on the home run to win games. That's the formula once you get to the postseason. That's it. That's what's killed the Yankees. And this series against the Rays, it was exciting. There was suspense. Whereas on April 30th, when I hit that panic button, and you did too, there was a caller who called up asking me that when I go to Tampa to see the Yankees play at the Trop in late August, he said, Danielle, is that series even going to mean anything? And at the time, I told him, I don't think so. But now, there's hope. You tell me, 877-337-6666, if I'm being overly optimistic. Because there's a lot of positive to come from the, from the past three days and, and a little bit beyond that. Number one, the, the game Nestor Cortez started, win. The game Garrett Cole started, the Yankees won that game too. And those are two guys that are going to get two of the first three starts in the postseason. Second thing, Oswaldo Cabrera. The guy kind of on the bubble when you think that, you know, when Josh Donaldson comes back, he might be the guy that has to give up his roster spot. But he has tur- he's making it so Boone can't take him out. That's my favorite saying. Cabrera has turned things around offensively. Over his past seven, he's hitting 364 with two home runs, eight RBI. I think that's better than Josh Donaldson can do. But even hotter, Anthony Rizzo, who over his last seven is hitting 444 with three home runs and seven RBI. And he loves the home cooking here. I think he's got relatives in Lyndhurst, New Jersey, but... At Yankee Stadium, on the season, he's hitting 374 for the season. But probably the best news is this. The Yankees absolutely hammered. The Yankees absolutely battered the Rays' bullpen, which is the strength of this team, although they have many. The Yankees took it to them this series. Going into today's game, the ERA of the Rays bullpen against all other teams is 266. Against the Yankees this season, not counting today, 739. That's a vast difference. Going into today's game, the opponent average against this Rays bullpen is 188. Not including the Yankees. It's 188. Separate out the Yankees. The Yankees are hitting 313 against the Rays' bullpen. And that's most encouraging to me. In any event, you know, I, I like what I saw from the Yankees this series. I, I know, you know, they, they, it's, it, the, the series is, you know, for the season is Yankees 3, Rays 4. And it's going to be even more exciting on July 31st, August 1st, August 2nd, when hopefully, presumably, the Yankees are going to be a fully operational Death Star. We'll see. Much like the Rays were for this series, by the way. But six 
of the seven games so far have been decided by one run. And if you want to extend a little bit farther back, out of the last nine games for the Yankees, six have been come from behind wins. Almost another one today. Almost. And although it was a loss, although it was a loss to the Tampa Bay Rays, who the Yankees are going to be chasing all season long, I think, I know, I'm feeling all right. I hope you are too. 877-337-6666. We'll throw it to commercial and we'll come back right with your calls right here on The Fan. Welcome back to WFAM. My name is Danielle McCartan, hanging with you until 9 p.m. on this Mother's Day Sunday. Happy Mother's Day to you and yours and your family and many of my friends who are also moms. Of course, my own mother. She already checked in tonight. She heard me the first time. Um, yeah, coming on after the Yankee game, of course, I'm going to open with the Yankees. But I also have to say that the, the, the Knicks have been eliminated. The Devils have been eliminated. And if you, if you, well, I don't want to talk, speak for you, but for me, taking, you know, three out of the seven Rays games so far, I mean, I think, I think it's, it's okay. I think the Yankees are going to be okay. They've got Bader back now. Like, just look at this weekend. They've got Bader back. They've got Judge back. And they're not all the way yet back. So I think once this this series comes back around the end of July, the first two days of August, I mean, I know the Yankees are going to be chasing the Rays all season long. I get it. But I think the, the, the Yankees showed some fight, some heart, and they, they were not and are not intimidated by arguably the best team in baseball that resides in their division. Lots of positives to take away. I'm trying to focus on the positives. 877-337-6666. My name is Danielle McCartan. If you can't get through, it's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Leading us off tonight, Philip, Phil in Durham, North Carolina. Phil, you're the leadoff caller of the day. What's up? It is an honor, Coach. There's uh, all first- mine there, Phil. I mean, I'll agree with you. It is good to see these guys fighting, and I agree with you. You've got to be optimistic. There's just two things that just bother me about this. And one, and I hate calling guys out, single guys, but Clark Schmidt, I mean, something's got to be done. I know he's gotten a little bit better over the last couple of stuff. Like, you know, he's shown some flashes here and there, but so Phil, you can't he, be trying this guy out once every five days. So here's the thing. Look at the injuries to this rotation and tell me who you're going to put in in that spot. They're, they're, to well, me, there's nobody. And that's and that's a, and that's an amazing point. But that brings up the second thing that I want to say is, you know, we're saying that well, when they're going to be healthy at the end of July, they're going to be healthy at the end of July. Danielle, I'm not convinced they're going to be healthy at the end of July. <laughs> yeah, I know. I I mean, you know, starting rotation. When is Rodon going to be here? Never. Probably just never. Okay. I told you about that and, though. What about and then separate. What are we? I mean, is Severino ever going to come back? I mean, say end of re- May, they say for Severino. Oh yeah, they okay. say, and and he'll take what two starts, two starts, and then what? And then I bet you he goes back on. I mean, that's the reason why Clark Schmidt's out there. Yeah, you're right. So that's. I mean, I want to be positive, and you know these guys going to fight. They're going to get to the postseason, but starting pitching is still, in my opinion, the most important part of a line, of a baseball team. Mm-hmm. You need a rotation, and these guys just don't have it. You know, I love, and I'm with you. And listen, I hope Brito comes around. I really do. I think he's, 
I mean, at the beginning of the season, he looked amazing. I saw him, I saw him pitch a, a road game in Baltimore. He looked phenomenal. Yep. But, I mean, if we can't get consistent starting pitching, that worries me. Well, yeah, Phil, and, and, and yes, thanks for your call there. Yes, yes, starting pitching always worries you, especially especially in, in a short series, in a postseason, where I don't think the Yankees are going to be winning the AL East. So you look at, all right, who, who are your three, who are your go-to pitchers? Well, Cole, Cortez, and you'll see what uh, Cortez is going to be. And, you know, he, he exceeded his, I talked to him about it, he exceeded his innings limit last year alone. You know, and, and maybe you're starting to see some effects of it now or in the early goings in this season. Maybe. But I get it. I understand. And I'm just trying to focus on the positive. Well, because it, Clark Schmidt, having him out there, it's it's the byproduct of not addressing the starting pitching rotation in the offseason with reliable pitchers. You know, I, I, we don't have to keep going back to this, but Carlos Rodon. You thought... Jacob DeGrom was injured often. Carlos Rodon, I told you then, before it even happened, he's injured more often than DeGrom. He's out more often than DeGrom. And yet the Yankees went ahead, full court press, and brought him in. So yes, while I agree with you that a starting pitching rotation is important, it is. I think the Yankees' offense is coming around. Yankees' offense is coming around in the sense that maybe, maybe, It'll be able to overcome this year some of the shortfalls of whether it be the starting pitching or or the relief pitching. 877-337-6666. Tyler out in Jersey. What's up, Tyler? I'm I'm with Phil on this one. I, I just don't see how we're going to be a postseason team with this pitching. Like it's just awful. I mean, don't, we're only comeback the comeback kings because our defense sucks. It's just there's no pitching anywhere. Yeah, I mean, agreed. Right when you got a starting pitching rotation that it does not include a Rodon, your big. You know, free agent acquisition doesn't include Luis Severino, doesn't include Frankie Montas, who you went out and got last year. I mean, those are three big guys that that you're banking on, and they're just not there. I get it. I, I just don't. Even if they're healthy again, I'm like, are, are they going to be good? It's his first start off season. Like, I, yeah. I don't understand how he's going to be good. Yeah, so, even if he is healthy and if he is perfect, which I know he's not, he's not going to be good. I mean, hopefully he's good. I'm trying to be positive, but right. And Tyler, here's the other thing too. You know, they got to ramp. They have to both. All of them have to ramp back up. When once they do get back, and right. then you know they're not going five six innings. They're going to have short outings, right. which is going to tax the bullpen. I get it. Yeah, I just don't see how we're going to be a big postseason team again. I mean, it's the same thing since '09. It's just there's, there's nothing that's changed. This has always been a bullpen issue. Um, see, Tyler, I, I'm not. I don't always agree with it. It's always been a bullpen issue. The Yan- Yankees bullpen last year was the strength of their team. Yankees bullpen was great last year, and yet this year. You know, Liza going down, it's big. It looms big on the grand scheme of things. And Clark Schmidt as a starter, well, I like him better as a reliever, but you can't have him as a reliever because you need him as a starter. So the pitching definitely, definitely leaves room for improvement, obviously. But what I saw, especially yesterday from this team, the way in which it came back to win, the small ball, the bunts today, Oswaldo Cabrera, bunt single to the left of the pitcher's mound. Like, all of those things, I'm happy to see them being incrementally added into this offense. That, that is what, to me, 
wins games in the playoffs, wins games in the postseason, doing little things like that, playing small ball, rather than the three outcomes, home run, walk, or strikeout. To me, it is vastly improved since I hit that panic button back on April 30th. 877-337-6666. We got a quick break. We got a Pete McCarthy update, and I will check in live with, with uh, what the Mets are doing down in D.C. My name is Daniel McCarthy. I'm with you till 9. The fan is better when you're part of it. Call the fan at 877-337-6666. Powered by Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com. Welcome back to the fan. As we kick off the 6 p.m. hour, the Mets, are, it's been a hit parade. We are in the top of the fifth, and it's just been either a hit-by-pitch parade or a hit parade. I mean, everybody's getting in on the action. Mark Canna, Sterling Marte, Brett Beatty walked. Alonzo stood in there like I wanted Glaber Torres to do and got hit in the elbow. I mean, the Mets have cracked it open in D.C., score 8-1 to one in the top of the fifth. I mean, there's a probability, a win probability around 75% for the Mets to win this game. So if you want to do some live betting, uh, there you go. Mets win probability is about... No, exactly 76% right now. I, I, might, I might even get on my phone and do it. 877-337-6666. Uh, coming on after a Yankee loss. Hopefully a Met win, although the Mets did lose earlier today in that catastrophe in D.C. We can talk about that. That was unbelievably ridiculous, making those people wait there in the rain just to cancel it after hours. I feel their pain. If you even look around today, the stadium's not even packed there at all. Uh, I'll make a case for Julius Randle to be traded. Knicks are not going to be able to win with him. Win and, and win, I mean, win in the playoffs with him on that roster. As the Celtics have just closed out the Philadelphia 76ers, by the way, in Game 7, 112-88, Celtics are moving on. Anyway, 877-337-6666 is the number to call. We will go to Abraham in Brooklyn. You're up next here on The Fan in New York City. Hey, happy Sunday. Thank you for taking my call. Thanks. You too. Um, I, love the, I love the way you're trying to be positive about the Yankees, but what I'm trying, what, what I understand is we've been at the roller, this roller coaster of the Yankees for the last five years, some might say the last 10 or 12 years, the, the season goes. They have a win streak. They have a losing streak. They have a win streak. By the end of the, the end of the season, they are losing in the ALCS or they're losing in the wild card or right. the ALDS. They don't. They, they are not a better team this season uh, from last year. They didn't do any. Uh, Carlos Rodon. They did do an update, but it's not really a real update. It's going to help them win. So I'm trying. We, we could try to be positive right now, but we haven't seen anything now yet, at least. To be positive, to say, oh, they're back. The Yankees are back. They're hitting. Yeah, they won a couple of games. Beautiful. They're doing what they're actually supposed to be doing. But how do we know that they're actually going in the right direction now? There's no way to say that. Right. But when you get in base, how many times last year did the Yankees bunt a ball for a base hit? How many bases did they steal last year through this time? I mean, those are the things that I point to that, that in a way, slowly, incrementally, this team, this team is changing its complexion, at least offensively. As of stealing base is true, but 
as of you, you look at the, the Tampa Bay Rays, they they actually became a better team since last year yeah. and two years ago. They I mean, have. they have always been good in pitching. The Yankees haven't updated anything offensively. Yeah, they're stealing bases, true, but they're still going for the long ball and they're not going for the base hits for the for the batting average, and that's what's going to kill them. And my, I mean, I hope not, but that's how it's been the last couple of years. Trying to look. I'm, I'm looking at like easily comparable stats here. And, and thanks for the call there, Abraham. Uh, between last year and so far this year, the Yankees' batting average is pretty much the same as a team collectively. Yankees' on base percentage is a little lower this year. Its slugging percentage a little lower this year. OPS a little lower. Fielding percentage is, is the same. So, uh, yeah, I get it. I do. But I'm just trying. I'm, they've stolen 31 bases so far this season. All last year, they stole 102. So that's an improvement. I don't know, I'm just I, like I said. I'm, I'm just trying to be optimistic here. I, I like the way they're winning games. I like the way they're coming back to win games. Uh, you could probably look that stat up too if I if I had some time. Come from behind wins last year versus this year, but I, I know, and I know you're saying like, oh well, you know they they wouldn't have to come from behind if they jumped out in the beginning, right? If they had good pitching to, from the beginning, I get it. But but right now, I think they're just staying flow. I, I think they're waiting for these pitchers to come back, and I and I think they're doing an okay job. I mean, look at that bullpen. Well, why is it a huge loss? Marinaccio stepping up. It's just, you want Clark Schmidt in the bullpen. You can't put him there until you get one of your starting pitchers back. So I think they're, I think the Yankees are doing a good job with what they have on their plates right now. Not to say that they're doing a great job. Not to say that they shouldn't be better. Of course they should. But right now, what they've got going on and how they're winning games, how they're clawing back and, and fighting and not just laying down. Like, for the first time all season, that's what I'm seeing in the Rays series. Friday, Saturday, even today, Sunday. They're not just laying down. And the Yankees were in it, in it, until until the ninth, within a foot of tying the game, judges hit. And, and they would have taken one more in Tampa if it wasn't for that error in the outfield by Bowers in left field. That cost them the game. And again, Bowers. We're talking about Bowers who's not an everyday left fielder. So I think they're making do. 877-337-6666. Ed in Mawa, New Jersey. You're up on the fan. Danielle, how are you? I'll be covering a regular on the show. Ed, I love it. Um, so, you know, I tell you what, I like everything you're saying tonight. Yankees aren't that far off. I keep hearing Tampa, Tampa, Tampa. Yeah. You know, Tampa's only won eight more games than us. And with all the struggles we've been through, we could play with anybody. Just give it time. We're coming around. It's only May. We got a long season here. And, and not for nothing, but when I look at the Rays' schedule, they played Washington. They played Oakland, who are historic. The Oakland A's are on pace to be historically the worst team in the history of baseball. Okay, so you know they're playing these teams. The the Reds. Yeah, they got off to a hard start, but look at all there's. Three against Washington, three against Oakland, three against the Reds. I mean, three against Chicago, White Sox. I mean, so, no, no, I'm sorry, seven against the White Sox, three against Pittsburgh. And now, all of a sudden, you know, you look back and you're like, oh, well, they they had, they had a little trouble against Houston. They had a little trouble against the Yankees. So, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to talk about raise, 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 but they don't. And and the, this last series, the past couple of days, have really shown to me that that the Yankees aren't scared of them, and they're not intimidated by them. And and maybe they're not the biggest threat that people are making them out to be. No, I agree. We could play with anybody. Uh, there's no quit in this team. Right. They'll battle right to the bottom of the ninth, even if they're down eight runs. Yep. They just keep battling. So just give it time. We'll come around. We need a couple more guys back. It's a long season, man. It's only May. I agree with you. And and it is a long season. And in the beginning of the year, way in the beginning, up through April 30th, you weren't seeing that out of this team. And, and I'd be curious to see what changed. What changed inside that clubhouse to turn that team into a fighting team? Because, you know, Aaron Boone is always la-di-da after the games. You know, we battled. We grinded. Okay, sure. But now now that you're seeing it, and, and I want to know what what – what changed inside there? Did someone speak up? Did someone start throwing stuff in there? They have a players only. I don't know. But I've seen a change in this team, and it's a positive change. Rick in Tampa, you're up on a fan. Oh, Danielle, my dear. How are you today? <laughs> Great. How are you there, Rick? I, I had to work today, but you know what? All's fine. I didn't see the Yankee game other than through my phone. But I'm tired of Tampa. You know, I live here, so <laughs> I don't want to hear any more about it. But I disagree with you totally. Come on, Danielle. You can't shine that nice bright light and say that you see positives in the Yankee team. There isn't any. There is, the team has no starting pitching. If we would have came out and Clark Smith pitched a decent game after that win yesterday, I'd say, you know what? They could possibly turn the corner a teeny bit. But, of course, he doesn't. He stinks. Abreu stinks. I love Luis Severino. I've known him since he was a rookie, and we don't know if he's going to be anything that he is every year, getting hurt all the time. Rodon has done nothing. Cole besides Cole, and now Nestor, two games in a row. Are you concerned a little bit about that? I am. About how he's been hit? Yeah, I am. I am. I'm concerned about Nestor Cortez, and and you might see an IL stint sooner rather than later, maybe when Severino comes back the end of the month, because, like I said before, he he exceeded his innings limit by far last season. You know, he pitched more innings than he ever has last last season, than any other season in his career. I think you're seeing the residual effects this year. Yeah, but if, if, if I mean, Nestor was I t- was with him for a while last week here in Tampa, and he, other than the strep throat that he had, which was totally gone, he's 100% feels great. Is the league caught up to his? I mean, with the quick pitching and everything, it helped him. But have they caught up to that? Is is that what we're seeing? I, I'm not concerned about that. I love Nestor. I love Sebi. Mm-hmm. I don't, but I haven't seen, and Yankee fans have not seen the Yankees step forward with those guys ever before. Now, the bullpen as a whole, notwithstanding today's debacle of our middle relief guys, but has been shaping up to be pretty good. And I'm excited about some of the way uh, they're plugging it in there. But everything else has been concerned all around. And it's, it's, I don't see that changing. I mean, Aaron Boone, listen, we have a... Domingo Herman pitched two gems, okay? Mm-hmm. Gems of a game when we're dying for starting pitching and our glove-like manager decides to take him out both games yep. instead of just giving him some confidence, Daniel. That's what we think. We're in a tough part of the season. Let the kid pitch. Yeah, I Let agree with you. What we got, right? yep. So I, 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 Aaron Boone again, and I was telling Sue the other day, 
today it was this morning that I'm, my expression is go the way of the lot because he got he's gone after two great seasons. But you know what? The team looks lackluster in the playoffs. They didn't have it, and you know whether it's Thibodeau and with the Knicks, you know he's not really going anywhere. But Boone as that same laissez-faire. It, it's it's not good. So those two points I brought up, worried about Nestor, and I don't like the way Boone took out Herman, gives me negative thoughts about the team, and, and I have a hard time spinning a good light on it, which you're doing, but I don't see that. I don't see those things, and I don't see it especially after losing today in a game where, oh, my gosh, after that, Rizzo, and then to him to load the bases like that and that clown to come in and give up a grand slam, Heartbreaking. That is typical Yankees, and every Yankee fan of falls will say, "Yes, typical Yankees." Well, no light. Right there, Rick. I, I get it. I get the home run, but you know what? And I'm going to look at it glass half full. They got they got the they got the grand slam. They gave it the grand slam. Abreu gave up that grand slam. Four changeups in a row. I don't know what the game plan was there. Uh, even I could time up an eighty mile an hour, eighty nine mile an hour changeup four times in a row and hit one out. Probably. I mean, probably. But I get it. I understand. But the Yankees clawed back, and that's the point I'm trying to make. Whereas in other in other years, in years past, in the fifth inning, they would have lied down and been like, "All right, you know what? Let's pack it in. Let's uh, move on to the next one. It's a Sunday day game, you know, Mother's Day, the whole thing." Um, but yes, uh, back to your two points. A, yes, I am concerned about Nestor Cortez. He's lost some speed on his velocity on some of his pitches, and I just think that's just a residual of of having thrown more innings than ever last season in his entire career. Uh, so, yes, I am concerned about him. I would not be surprised if there's an IL stint for him. But I just hope it doesn't happen until Severino gets back in the May. Um, and I forgot the other point. What was the other point? Um, ah, I forgot it. But anyway, so uh, that's what I think. I mean, the starting pitching, right, it's, it's not the best. But it's not – how do I say it? It's, it, it's not said. Like, it, it, you haven't seen Rodon yet. You haven't seen Severino yet. And no one knows what they're going to be like when they come back. I get it. But it's it's got to be better than what you're seeing from Clark Schmidt. As I look to the TV, Max Scherzer is grimacing in the dugout and checking out his finger at the top of the sixth. I wonder, maybe a blister? I'll try and keep an eye on that for you. 877-337-6666. Live check into the Mets. Mets are winning 8-1 on top of the sixth down in Washington. We will go to John in Forest Hills. You're up next on a fan. Hey, how you doing? I, I enjoy your show. Thank Thanks you. for having me. Thank you. Um, I have one question. Since you started talking, you've only been talking about the Yankees and the Rays, and, and I understand why because they just played a very important series. Mm-hmm. But what what are your thoughts on the rest of the division? Because first of all, the Yankees—I mean—they should never ever be intimidated by anybody with their payroll. I mean, the the the, the owners believe that these are the best ball players in the game. That's why they get paid the money they get. So. I don't see them ever being intimidated, but what do you think about the rest of the league? You think that they're just going to kind of fold and the Yankees are just going to surge to the, the top of the division? Or I just want to hear your thoughts on that. I'll hang up and listen. So thanks, thanks for having my call. Thanks, John. I appreciate that. Yeah, as I look at the AL East right now, obviously the Rays are, are leading not only the AL, but I think Major League Baseball. Let me just triple check that. Yeah, they're, the, the Rays are leading Major League Baseball by far. Win percentage. By far, it's not close. Then you got the Orioles, which the Orioles, for the first time since I've been here on the radio for the years that I've been here, plural years, uh, the Orioles are going to give you a little, a little trouble. The Blue Jays are playing better. 
And then you keep going down. The Yankees and the Red Sox are both eight games back. I mean, that is the tightest race, other than the NL East. That is the tightest race, NL Central too. One of the tight, more tighter races in the entire league. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of this AL East. I think it's a really good league. Um, but, you know, iron sharpens iron. And I think that having played in the AL East, the Yankees, how do I say it? Like when when I when I coach right, and before we we made our state championship runs, we would always book exhibition games with really good powerhouse teams in order to prepare for our state run. So that's what the Yankees, by residing in the AL East, are are, are doing. They're playing the toughest competition. Iron sharpens iron, and then it, when it, when it comes time to the postseason, hopefully they they might sneak in as a wild card team. Hopefully, they're going to have been battle-tested and be able to overcome. Because you saw it this weekend. You saw it. Now, Friday night, I left. I, I tried beating the traffic. You know the construction outside Yankee Stadium going on on, on on that road, on that highway. So I left. I missed the Rizzo home run. And I wish I stayed. But I also got home around 9.30, which was also great. Um, But I think, listen, I, maybe I'm being too positive. I don't know. But... I'm not trying to do it as a, as a shtick. I think there's some good things to take away. Rizzo's batting 444. Anthony Rizzo's batting 444. It came in clutch Friday night. And if we want, we could maybe shift to the Knicks or continue with the Yankees. Um, maybe I'm being op- overly optimistic, but the Yankees, I, I'm not worried. As I look at the AL East, they're, they're at the bottom of the AL East. I get it. But for some strange reason, now... I'm just not worried. My name is Daniel McCartan. Take a quick break and more of your calls back on WFAN at 877-337-6666. Let them have it. Call the fan at 877-337-6666. Powered by Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com. The Knicks have finally found their point guard, but man, I have seen enough of the Julius Randle show. Melts down when the lights shine brightest. It's time to cut bait with Julius Caesar Randle and press the upgrade you button. I'm not a rides person, but I want off this Julius Randle roller coaster. A, the outbursts against the officiating crew have to be toxic in that locker room. And, and I think of when he was screaming in the face of Emmanuel quickly in the regular season, when all he was trying to do was just defuse the situation, Randall's outbursts have to be completely divisive inside that locker room. You know how I know it is? Listen to, I think it was that quickly game. Here's what Tom Thibodeau said after that game. He said, one, you allow for idiosyncrasies as long as it doesn't get in the way of winning. Nothing can get in the way of winning. Hmm. Two, the team always has to come first, and so everyone's responsible for that. Hmm. Three, we have to do everything a lot better, and we have to be committed to doing it as a team. We can't lose sight of what we're trying to get accomplished. Huh. That's your coach talking through the media to you to be a team player after your eruptions. And and B, in a must-win Game 6 Friday night, both Julius Randle, and R.J. Barrett, he's not off the hook either, completely 
disappeared. Think about this. Brunson had 41 points. The rest of the Knicks team in Game 6 had 51. Jalen Brunson shot 64% from the field in Game 6. The rest of the Knicks team shot 27%. Jalen Brunson in Game 6 hit 14 field goals. The rest of the Knicks team made 13. Now you tell me where. You tell me where. Your all-NBA third-team superstar power forward was in that game. Because I'll wait. Nowhere to be found. Dude can't take the heat, literally and figuratively. Trade him. 877-337-6666. Peter and West Nyack, you're up on the fan. Hi, how you doing? Great, how are you, Peter? Peter? I'm great. Happy Mother's Day to all the future moms and all the moms out there and my son, Matthew, Michael, and Nicholas's mom, Lucy, and everybody in West Nyack. So just wanted to give a shout-out to everybody. Thank you. You got it, Peter. And I couldn't agree with you more about Julius Randle. I just kind of wanted to make a, a final point on the Yankees. Sure. I'm very optimistic and a glass-half-full person there, too. If you look at the standings, they'd be first tied for first or second in every single division other than the East. Mm -hmm. And I think the teams at the top are going to come back to the pack and the Yankees are going to end up moving up and they'll be ready to compete, you know, in the playoffs. So I'm not worried about them. What I am worried about is Julius Randle and he's got to go. And the reason why he's got to go is he doesn't have the leadership qualities. You as a teacher and a coach, you could look at him. If you just look at his body language alone. Yep. His shoulders slumping, yep. his head down. He's not doesn't have controlled breathing. He doesn't look like an elite athlete. And you know, as a coach, when your star hitters getting up to the plate, you have a feel that they're going to get a hit just based on the body language alone. Yep. At that level, when you're an elite athlete, I'm not going to say that he's a loser. He's far from that. He's a great player and a good NBA player. Sure. But I don't think he's a champion. I don't think he can get there because of his body language and lack of leadership skills. Well, that's it there, Peter, and, and thank you. And, and it's not the body language in and of itself. It, it's, it's, a, it's bigger, right? He's got his shoulder slumped. He's shaking his head at times. He's muttering to himself. Like, that's not, like, and then, like you said, that's not being a leader. That's not taking, you know, the, the bull by the horns. And, and you, you want Julius Randle to step up in the big moments, like you said. You expect him to step up, and he just completely disappears. Completely. Game six, where was he? Might as well put him on the back of a milk carton. And I understand that, you know, you needed Julius Randle to get to where they were, but having him on your roster is not going to propel you to the next level. Because I've, I've got a guy that the Knicks should already have been on the phone with. Already. He's better than him in every aspect. But Julius Randle, as a leader of this team, I don't see it. I just don't. And when he screams in the face of Emmanuel quickly, who's just trying to defuse the situation, and that's just one of many instances. One of many. How do you think that makes Emmanuel quickly feel? Or the other guys, just just leave him be. Let him brood in the corner. Ooh, that's like a lot of negative energy. Let's get Kyrie Irving up in here with those, uh, those, those sage burning I just don't think the next the Knicks can take it to the next level with him on the roster. Josh in the Bronx, you're up next on the fan. I'm telling you, you're right on everything. Uh, and the thing is, you now you have two playing teams, one from the East Miami and that 
LA Lakers that also a playoff team. They're in the fine they're in the conference finals, you kidding me? Yep. And if the Knicks had Jimmy Butler, they'd be in the finals. Yeah, I mean well, playoff Jimmy. You'd take him over um Randall, wouldn't you? As a matter of fact, you know, in the you know, when you come out with your grades for the Knicks, the Rangers and whatever it be, you know, NBA, yeah. NHL and everything I want to hear that. And also, thank you for taking my call. Happy Mother's Day, and thank you. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate right. that. I mean, getting back to the matter here, you have to package, you have to cut bait. You know, Jimmy Butler, maybe, who knows? I don't know. But Julius Randle on this team, you, you have to cut bait while he still has some worth. Third-team All-NBA, good. Dump him. Dump him. Put him in part of a trade. You believe the Giannis rumors? Maybe. Maybe. I don't. Maybe you do. I don't know. But they cannot take the next step with this guy on the team, with this guy in the locker room. And I get it. Don't. I know that they weren't going to be able to get there without him. I get it. But to take it to the next level, you saw it two seasons in a row. Faded away in the Hawks series. What, two years ago? Game whatever it was. Five. Pat Boyle took me to that game. We were there. We saw it. We left with a loss. And now you saw it again. Game six, where was he? But Jalen Brunson, that guy's your star. 877-337-6666. We go to Hoboken, New Jersey. And Dan, you're up on the fan. Hey, Danielle, how are you? Great, how are you? Big fan of the show. Hey, you know, I was thinking about it as I was driving back here, but, you know, you, you're definitely, definitely right about something changing with the Yankees. And, you know, as great as it is having Judge back, I really think, I think Rizzo's the guy. Like mm. Rizzo, you see him getting getting into it with the pitchers, with the bench, with the umpire. I think Rizzo's the heart and soul of that team. I, I think he's the guy that's making everybody step it up, keeping everybody motivated. I think Rizzo's the guy on the Yankees. I really do. Dan, I agree with you, but and yes, I do, and, and I want to do like a, a little butt here. Not a big butt, just a little butt. Don't you think that the Yankees' uptick also has to coincide with Harrison Bader being back on this team? Absolutely. Oh, no, I, 100%. 100%. No, I mean, again, again, though, but you're look, if you look at those two guys closely, mm-hmm. what are they bringing to the team? They're bringing heart, yep. soul. They're bringing energy. They're bringing, you know, they're bringing all these things to the team that, uh, that we're lacking. But, right. So, yeah, you're 100% right. Dan, and I think, I, th- I think you're right on the money there. Bader and Rizzo are the heart and soul of this team. Bader, I mean, Bader alone. Harrison Bader today made a catch, a diving full extension grab in, in left center on the warning track, full extension. It had a 35% catch probability. He was running 29 miles an hour to get there and make the catch. I mean, that's a ticket in a school zone if you're riding in a car. Makes the catch, jumps right back up to his feet, and he saved two or three runs from scoring. You don't think that fires up the team after that? Come on. So he does it on the field and off the field. And yes, Rizzo too. I saw today, Rizzo, there was a, there was a, a, a strike called on him. He turned around, he looked at the umpire, and he looked at him like, are you, are you kidding me? And then he took so long, to, he got so fired up about it, he had to call a timeout in the box so he didn't get a strike. I guess it, was, it would have been strike three 
um, punch out on the pitch clock violation. So, yeah. What are the Yankees? Do you see doing that? Frank and Syosset, you're up next on the fan. Hi, Danielle. Happy Mother's Day to everybody. Um, yeah, I think uh, Volpe's been a spark on the team also. There's yep. a lot of sparks. You just mentioned a few of them, Bader and Rizzo and LeMayu and Judge coming back. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot. You know, there's a lot, a lot of sparks on the team. But I like, I like Volpe. He's young. He's new. He's uh, a baby bomber, and uh, he's just come up and done incredible things. A grand slam. He just passed Joe DiMaggio for steals. And, yep. you know, uh, I like what he's doing. He's laying down a bunt. He, uh, Rizzo even complimented him and yep. said, it got him going, so he laid down a bun playing some small ball. Um, I love yeah, that. Yeah, they showed some fight this week. I don't think they could get embarrassed in, in, in their own house. They're in their own house. You know, that's their house. And they're playing a tough team. You can't make mistakes. You can't leave four guys on base. And I, I just wanted to ask you, what do you think about um, – would you take a Giants question from me? Yeah, uh, sure. Okay, I just wanted to say, what do you think of Aaron Boone's managing of the pitching staff? I'm not really a big uh, fan of – the way he manages the pitching staff. I think sometimes he takes the starters out too soon. I agree. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. He, 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 you know, some of the tough losses, like the 11-3 loss against the uh, Giants. I heard he, uh, Michael K said he completely uh, depleted the bullpen the, the night before, so he had nobody to bring in. Yeah, right. And uh, that 3-2 loss against uh, the Guardians with Haman, I thought he took him out too soon. Yep. But, yeah, thanks, thanks. I'm glad you agree. Um, the Giants, um, uh, they, I got uh, the acquired six players, a defensive tackle, a tight end, a linebacker, uh, Deontay Banks, mm-hmm. uh, John Michael Schmitz, yep. and uh, Jalen Hyatt. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we beat Philly this year? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's a loaded question because we don't yet know what Saquon Barkley's going to do. Obviously, he's a, he's a game changer. Um, as of right now, I'm gonna say no. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But- I just think the Eagles are just too good. They're coached. I know the Giants are coached well, but it's a machine. I think the Philadelphia Eagles are a machine. Uh, maybe the Giants get lucky. I don't know, but but I no. I'm, I'm gonna go with no as of right now because I don't. I'm not sure about Saquon Barkley. All right. Thanks, Danielle. Yeah. Thanks for the call, there, Frank. Oh, sorry. Uh, but but getting back to the Yankees and and how. Aaron Boone takes the pitchers out completely and utterly way too early. It's a common theme. It's just so common. It goes back to when he took out Tanaka in a postseason game. He ended up losing the game. Uh, it goes back to when he took out Garrett Cole in a must-win game. Garrett, Garrett Cole essentially was like, remember when he took tried taking Garrett Cole out and Garrett Cole yelled at him and told him to go back in the dugout? Remember that? There needs to be more of that. Because not only are you, like, like, like you just said, are you – managing today, but you're managing the rest of the series. And if you're using all these guys right up front, well, that that's only going to hurt you moving forward. So, yeah, I agree with you on that. I, I wish, especially your ace, like like Garrett Cole and, and Tanaka, play, playoff Tanaka was a different animal, right? Let those guys work out of a jam. They're, they're your top-tier pitchers for a reason. Let them work. I don't want to hear, oh, third time through the order. I don't want to hear it. Like, cause like a guy like Jacob Degrom, the first two times around, fine. But then he he does he shows you something else the third time around. He's a different, goes to a different arsenal. And I know Jacob Degrom is one of the best, right? I get it. But there's got to be that kind of a mentality coached into these pitchers, where okay, the first time around you do this, second time around you do this, third time around you do this. So it preserves preserves the arms of the bullpen. 
which the Yankees are missing a huge one right now, and Jonathan Lewiska. 877-337-6666. Take more of your calls. Coming up next. Yeah. Your official station to talk Jets. The Fan. 1019 FM and always live on the free Odyssey app. Download it today. comes your way then. Feeling quite optimistic about the Yankees so far. Um, I shouldn't say so far. Recently this season, I am. And um, also, by the way, if you didn't know, if you're looking for something to do maybe during the week, now that the Knicks are out, now that the Devils are out, maybe uh, your baseball team has an off night, uh, whichever team it is, the Yankees or the Mets, it's opening weekend. This this weekend is opening weekend of the Yogi Berra documentary. It's called It Ain't Over. I've seen it. It's great. Uh, you don't need to be a Yankee fan to see it. And I know, you know, he, he managed the Mets for a little bit as well. But um, it's just it's it's just really good. Talks about his uh, his service to, to our country, his immigration over from Italy, and it's just it's just it's well beyond baseball. So if you're if you're in for a good story, it's a love story. It's it's everything all rolled into one. Narrated by a great friend of the show, great friend Lindsey Berra. Um. It's out. It's in theaters near you. So uh, go look it up. Go find some times and go see it. I had Lindsay on, was it last weekend, I think? I think it was last weekend to talk about the film. So if you missed out, just go ahead and go on Google and type in, I think if you just typed in McCartan, Barra, On Demand, WFAN, it should come up. Anyway, Marty went. I told him to, uh, he called me last week. He said he was going to go and see it. And I said, hey, Marty, you got to follow up with me on this documentary. Let me know what you think. So Marty, what'd you think? Boy, that's a great segue, Danielle. I appreciate that. Um, I did go see it today. It was terrific. Uh, Lindsay Berra covered all the bases from beginning to end. Yogi's early childhood on the hill in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Uh, going to the point uh, past his days as a manager. And some heartwarming uh, parts of the, um, of the documentary. I don't want to give away a lot because I know there are a lot of people that haven't seen it yet. But uh, obviously... Uh, his marriage to Carmen, and um, uh, I enjoyed the interviews uh, with uh, people like Billy Crystal, mm-hmm. uh, the few players that uh, were on the documentary that he managed, like Willie Randolph and uh, Ron Guidry, and Don Mattingly, of course, mm-hmm. and um, also a few of his uh, former teammates who were still alive, uh, Bobby Richardson and Tony Kupak, that go way back. Yep. And uh, Billy Crystal, he's he's always good for some Yankee stories because he's such a big Yankee fan, uh, going back to when he followed Mickey Mantle. So, I mean, on the whole, it was, uh, I mean, it was definitely a very enjoyable documentary. The one the thing that I always thought about Yogi, as, as great a career that he had, is that, you know, he managed the Yankees on two separate occasions, and I felt he got a raw deal both times uh, after '64. He took the team to the seventh game of the World Series against the Cardinals and the Yankees. Didn't think that he could manage the ball club. They thought maybe he was too soft on the ball players, and they fired him. And, of course, 1985, which I vividly remember, uh, George firing Yogi after only 16 games, after he promised him the whole season, mm. which got a lot of Yankee fans upset. I, I remember that summer. 
And it's just unfortunate that uh, that George made that decision because I think uh, the Yankees would have prospered, would have done well uh, under Yogi. That particular season is a long time ago. Billy Martin took over, and I think a lot of the Yankee fans at that point uh, were starting to get a little bit weary of the George Billy. Uh, scenario. Even though Billy was a very popular match in his own right, uh, the fans really got behind Yogi after after that second dismissal. But uh, what I find interesting about Yogi is that even after he got fired that second time, he never disappeared. He was always a presence. He did commercials. He did numerous interviews. He wrote multiple books. He was always there till the end. I mean, it's just fascinating. Yeah, and I'm glad, Marty, that you liked it. And they talked about all that in a movie, really, pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Well, I'll say anybody who's a baseball fan, like you said, you don't have to be a Yankee fan or a Met fan. Uh, you're viewing baseball history. Right. And another thing I, I must add, uh, shouldn't be remiss in mentioning that, Lindsay did a great job at the beginning of the documentary when they announced the four greatest yeah. living ball players. And she said it should have been five greatest living ball players. It's, it's unfortunate that Yogi was omitted in that group because mm-hmm. he should have been part of that ceremony. Yep. And that was, and thanks for the call there, Marty. And that was uh, what he's referring to is one of the All Star Game celebrations when they brought out four of, yes, the, and, and Lindsay and I talked about this last week, four of the, the greatest living baseball players, yes. And she was sitting next to Yogi Bear on the couch and she said, uh, I'm going to mess this up because I, I, I always mess this stuff up. But she said something along the lines of like, well, are you dead? Why are you not there? And he goes, not yet. So, yeah, I agree. And um, I think because and, and the movie kind of gets into it, his whole persona and the whole characterization of him kind of uh, kind of. Um, I don't know, I think re- detracts from what his greatness was on the field. By the way, Lindsay just uh, Lindsay just texted. She's listening. Let's go to uh, Lou in Astoria. You're up next here on the fan. Daniel, how are you? Great. How are you? Once again, to everybody out there, happy Mother's Day. Yeah, well, you know, Yogi Berra, a great Yankees, and I'm glad now that you actually watched that movie. And it's not just about Mariano Rivera, the 98 Yankees. It's about the history, and this guy is incredible. If you look how many times this guy struck out during the year. Yeah. It is unbelievable. He struck out like 400 times his entire career, which is today will be two years <laughs> for somewhere our Yankees' great long-swinging personality, you know? But you know what? Uh, let me tell you something. To be honest, uh, the Yankees this year, and, and I'm with you because it's good to be pessimist, but last year our Yankees were as good as the, the Tampa That's Bay, right. You're you know, right. The, you know, I, I don't understand why people are just getting confused here. Yeah. I mean, you know, the the problem is that right now, you know, when it comes to the playoffs, this is what I'm worried about, okay? I mean, the pitching was incredible at the beginning, okay? Then they die out a little bit, you know. But then, like, guys like Gary Cole, who's making millions and millions of dollars, you got a 6 nothing lead, and you let me down. And I almost, when I went upstairs, my son said, you're not a Yankee fan, Dad. Where are you going? I mean, I can't, I can't, can no longer look at this anymore because now even Cortez, which I trust him a lot, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, finally they came back in Cortez too. But, you know, this is my point right here. You know, we get, we, we, we're here, and at the end of the season, you know, when it comes, even, even listen, 
listen, I know you love Volpe, but Volpe's striking out, uh, striking out too many times, and this is going to affect him during the playoffs because Ooh, it's going to be a t- real. He's hit three home runs in five games. I understand, but, but, but coach, you are a coach. He leaves the Yankees to strike out. He's a they kid. He's adjusting make, still. He's never seen I these pitchers the before. I understand that, but listen. He's, he's never played the in these ballparks because, you know before. Daniel, this is what you make the money. I don't blame the kid. And this is why he's swinging for home runs. Because this is the, the game it's all about right now. You don't hear home runs. You're not going to make any more. But, I just Lou, want the kid not, to do but well. he's not. He bunted the other day. He bunted just yesterday. He hit a home run today. It's the full it package. Beautiful, but, you know, but, you know, when it comes to the playoffs, no, not so is going to happen. And stealing bases, which is going crazily. You know them well. I mean, if, if, if you're a baseball, uh, like I am, lifer, stealing bases today is disrespectful to the real stealing bases. That's going to stop in the playoffs. You know, I'm not trying to say. I don't think I so. Well, you don't think so? You don't think that a, that's not legit stealing bases today? No, it is, but I don't think it's going to stop in the playoffs like you just said there, Lou. I don't think it's going to stop. Why would it stop? The, the base paths are the same distance. is going to be the regular season and the postseason. The pitch clock's going to be the same. And all of it's going to be the same. Anthony Volpe is an asset to this team. And, and like I said, and I've been saying, he's the anti-Yankee. The kid, he could do it all. He's inspiring others to do it all as well. Anthony Rizzo, who's batting 444, is laying down a bunt. He's the real deal, Lou. I, I completely disagree with you on that. Quick break. Pete McCarthy update. I'm Daniel McCartan with you till 9 here on The Fan. Go for it. Call the fan at 877-337-6666. Powered by Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com. DJ Paul Rosenberg behind the glass on the ones and twos and taking your calls. My name is Daniel McCartan with you till 9 p.m. right here on this Sunday fun day on this Mother's Day 2023 Coming to you live from down here in lower Manhattan. And before, we were talking briefly, briefly, about how if the Knicks were to make the next level, take it to the next level in the playoffs, in my opinion, they'd have to shed Julius Randle in order to do so. So we played, Paul played for you before, upgrade you by Jay-Z and Beyonce, of course. And um, the upgrade button, who, who, when I press the upgrade button, Put it in like some sort of machine and was whizzing and whirling and, and put in Julius Randle and out is going to come whom? Objective number one for Leon Rose. This offseason, he should have already placed a call for New Jersey's own big cat Carl Anthony Towns. Now, Leon Rose is going to have to get a little creative. The Knicks don't have their own pick in the 2023 draft. They will get, though, the Mavericks pick if it falls outside the top 10. We will know that on Tuesday night at the draft lottery. But in terms of capital, what the Knicks do have is their own first-round pick in the next six drafts, plus four additional first-rounders from prior trades, and they also have Barrett, Quickly, Grimes, Mitchell Robinson. And for me, Mitchell Robinson is a non-starter because he'd be the defensive complement to Towns. But Carl Anthony Towns is perfect for this Knicks team. He is a guy that is not going to disappear on the court during the playoffs. Case in point, I looked this up, of course. You know I do my research. 
I compared career, pl- career playoff numbers of Julius Randle and career playoff numbers of Carl Anthony Towns. Let me tell you something. It was a no contest. A TKO, a KO. Carl Anthony Towns is infinitely better as a shooter than Julius Randle from the field. Carl Anthony Towns in the playoffs is an infinitely better shooter than Julius Randle from three-point range. Carl Anthony Towns in the playoffs is an infinitely better shooter than Julius Randle from close range. You see the theme here? Carl Anthony Towns is a much better shooter than Julius Randle from the foul line in the playoffs. He's an infinitely better blocker in the playoffs. There are about equal, the two of them, in the number of offensive rebounds that they pull down. But Carl Anthony Towns is a much better defensive rebounder than Julius Randle is in the playoffs. And in case you were worrying about his defense, wondering, skeptical, Carl Anthony Towns has a minimally higher playoff defensive rating than Randle. No drop-off there from position to position. Again, this is all in the playoffs we're talking. A situation where Julius Randle completely disappears. He melts under the bright lights of Broadway. Leon Rose should already be on the phone. This is a no-brainer because you know what? Carl Anthony Towns, he's disgruntled. And this is all from just two days ago on Paul George's podcast. It's called Podcast P with Paul George, whatever. But when the Timberwolves made that terrible trade for Rudy Gobert, they didn't even tell Carl Anthony Towns until after it was done. And I'm not into, like, you know, telling the star players this and that. I really don't like how Aaron Rodgers is dictating the Jets' moves. But why does this matter to me? Because Carl Anthony Towns had to switch positions entirely to accommodate Rudy Gobert, which is, like, a big deal. And he said, this is two days ago, Carl Anthony Towns said, I didn't actually have no idea that was happening. I was told by social media like everybody else. So that was something. And then he called the season for the Timberwolves a failure when he was asked. And then finally, Sean Devaney of Heavy Sports reported, this is a quote, the interest in making that happen would be mutual for sure. Cat and the Knicks are intertwined. To some people, it's more of a matter of when they go after him, not if. To me, it already should have happened. And furthermore, an Eastern Conference executive said everyone knows there's an interest. It's ripe for the picking. Get it done. Send Julius Randle to Minnesota for all I care. Carl Anthony Towns is an immediate, immediate upgrade. And a player that's not going to disappear when the lights shine brightest. 877-337-6666. Henry in Brooklyn. You're up on the fan. Thank you so much for having me on. I actually hadn't heard about this cat thing, um, but speaking of animals, but it's Mother's Day, I feel like my team's all laid an egg this year. So we're all like Mother Goose, kind of. Um, but I'm not from New York originally, but I've kind of grown to respect both things. I loved used to be able to go see KD here in Brooklyn, um, but I was really attached to the damage that I was expecting the Knicks to do this year. I love that idea of sending Julius Randle to – you can send it anywhere in the country that you'd like. Right. Um, but watching the NBA today, um, that was also pretty heart-wrenching. Uh, you mentioned earlier someone called in about the Giants. Obviously, you mentioned the Eagles at that point. But I, I hope Doc Rivers is unemployed immediately, and I, I just don't know what's going on. But with Jimmy Butler, the other caller mentioned, 
Jimmy's going to end up reconnecting with Embiid. Embiid's going to demand a trade out of Philly. It's going to break my heart. And I'm going to go through the same thing everyone went here in Brooklyn losing superstars. Uh, but, Danielle, you're amazing. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks, Henry. And you know what? The one thing I've learned in the NBA, especially in the NBA over any other sport, is you don't get attached. You don't buy the jersey. Even more than the Jets, you don't buy the jersey because these guys are just looking for the next opportunity. They're moving on to the next one. And, oh, and did you see, speaking of next opportunity, did you see of, of, about Kevin Durant that the coach in, um, in Phoenix, he's gone. And you tell me, they dis- last night, what time was that? Around, let's see, around 9.30 last night, Phoenix Suns dismissed coach Monty Williams after four seasons, a two-time NBA coach of the year. And you know what? I bet you, I bet you, Kevin Durant had something to do with that. And stop me if you heard this one before. Kevin Durant firing a coach, GM Durant. You know what? He's going to be out of of Phoenix soon. You watch. On to the next one. Make sure you got the jersey insurance for him. Just looking for the next one. Nick and Queens are up next here on The Fan. Hi, how you doing? I agree with you. Happy Mother's Day. First, I agree with you about Carl Anthony Towns. I'll give you another name. A small forward that might be an interesting pickup. Kyle Kuzma. Mm. And I'll give you know, give me your fact on that. I like Kyle Kuzma. Because he was in home type today. He what? That he's a free agent. Yeah. What do you like about what him? What do you think? What do you like about him? Well, Kuzma's a primetime player, no? Yeah, he is. And he- then you have J- Jason Hart as a backup. If there's a, you know, a problem on defense. Josh Hart, yep. I mean, and you got quickly, and, you know, I think that, that would be a way better wings than Barry and Randall. You have Carl Anthony Towns and Kuzma. Yeah, and you know what, Nick? It's it's not a bad idea. And, you know, Kyle Kuzma, he's not an unrestricted free agent. He's got a player option um, for, for next year. Expected to hit the market, though. Expected to opt out of that deal. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. But when you compare, I, I, see, to me, I'm, I'm just stuck on Carl Anthony Towns. I think he's a perfect fit. Um, he, he's got the, the want to win, I think, especially coming home to play. Guys from Jersey, you know, the whole thing. But Kyle Kuzma, not a bad, not a bad suggestion either. But e- either way, I think we're getting to it. Either way, this Knicks team is better without Julius Randle on it. And yes, I know, I know, they needed him to get to where they were. But he prevented them from taking the next step in the playoffs. Disappeared in game six. Completely disappeared. You needed him to step up. And he didn't. He couldn't. He wilted. Wilted under the lights. Douglas in the Bronx, you're up next here on The Fan. Oh, hey, Danielle. Good evening. Good evening. What's up, Douglas? Hey, yeah. I want to talk about the Knicks, but two quick NBA points. Yeah. First, what a disgraciate this. Thank you for that term. Uh, this John Morant is. Oh, uh, I didn't again, even get into that yet. Parading, uh, for those who don't know, once again, parading with a weapon on social media. Uh, no, no lesson learned there. Nothing, right. nothing. He show, it, was a, it was a quick. It was a, someone grabbed the screenshot, though. It, they were on Instagram Live. He was driving the vehicle, flashing a firearm in the same exact pose as the one he was flashing in the club that night that got him suspended. The guy is not learning anything. 
He's not learning anything. He doesn't want to learn. Yep, yep. And my second point is James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving have now joined the Nets on vacation. Um, Playoff (laughs) James Harden reared its ugly head today. Three for 11 from field goal range. One for three from three-point land. Oh, boy. He, uh, they, they, he bombed out again. Bombed out again. So, on to that note, we go to another one that bombed out in the playoffs. Julius Randle. This mm-hmm. goes to my Nick point. I'm a little less trigger-happy with Randle because I do appreciate what he did for us this year. I mean, he, he was a workhorse. And, uh, but, yeah, of course, I, too, am very frustrated. What he, highly frustrated what he did in, in yet another postseason his demeanor he's like a debbie downer yep. uh, he played out of position and poor shot selection for a couple times a series game five and even on friday game seven he's driving down the lane put the ball in the basket or at least try he throws it to mitchell robinson who has zero shot ability i mean what the hell is that like he's shrunk he has shrunk yep in in the postseason he has but with that said yeah he he was he was he was a workhorse this year, and it's just a shame he got injured. So uh, I, I'm, I'm I'm with you there. And you could say his trade value has never been higher. Right. So I mean I, I do count that. However, oh, I, I I I did cringe when you mentioned Carl Anthony Towns. I'm going to push back on this. Why, Danielle? Oh my God, he gets way too much foul trouble. He takes too many threes. And his body's made out of glass. I, I don't trust it. I do not trust that. He's a better that's, player than Randall. Better player he's than better, Randall. But can, he, but can he be on the court as much as Randall? I, don't, I can't say that. I can, I can say the same for Damian Lillard. I'm not, uh, I, I, I consider them, I'm not sure about their health I'm, uh, moving forward. I, I, I agree with you. K, uh, K, uh, KAT is better than a uh, player than Randall. I do that. I do. But I don't know if he can be on the court as long as that. I'll give you one name. I just, uh, I'm a solutions-oriented person. He's still in the playoffs, but Jalen Brown, what do you think? Uh, I don't think he's going to want to leave Boston. That's my gut feeling. And, yeah, while Carl Anthony Towns w- was played 29 games last season, he played 74 the year before that. Just just the year before that, and he was an all-star. He's He's – like one real full season removed from being an all star. That doesn't concern me. It really doesn't. Let's go to, uh, let's try uh, Michael in Manhattan. You're up next here on the fan. Hi, Danielle. How are you? Good. How are you tonight? Good. I'm going to try to stay calm and reasonable. <laughs> oh, no. All right. Me too. Okay. So I agree with you about, I was just thinking that. A couple of hours ago, wherever Kevin Durant goes, the coach gets fired. Yes. Um, and that's because, you know, he doesn't hold up his end of the bargain. Yep. Okay. He doesn't, he just doesn't get it done. And people are, all the media is bowing who him, you know, oh, you got to get Kevin Durant if he's available, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, he just doesn't get it done. He got it done with the Warriors and then no. Um, I want to, Say something about the Knicks. Sure. They need to take a hard look in the mirror, okay, which they don't do. Change requires that, okay? You can't have – it's ugly the way they play. Ugly counts sometimes. In which way, though? But in which ways? What's that? In which ways? The offense. The the Julius Randle on the elbow, the predictable offense. It breaks down into R.J. Barrett. 
trying to drive. He doesn't get to the rim. And, you know, he's a stiff. R.J. Barrett, they need to break it up, okay? Mitchell Robinson proved that he was useless. The guy can't – he has no moves around the basket. Guy so rips who do down they offensive he, rebounds like, like no other. Who else is cl- – hey, Mitchell Robinson puts up – he puts up – he plays – how do I explain? The, what he does in a game – Always doesn't end up in a scoreboard, on a scorecard. The guy hustles. He, he's crashing the boards, and when they're all running down the other end of the court, he's up there cleaning up the mess. Stop. Bam, Bam took him to school. He had no clue on how to stop Bam yeah, in this but, last series. Yeah, but where was Julius Randle? No they're both big guys. Where was Julius Randle holding up his end of the bargain? Shouldn't have to put okay, that all on Mitchell Robinson. That's right. So Julius Randle didn't hold up. R.J. Barrett didn't hold up. Right. We've seen this movie before, right. two years ago. Yes, I was and there. So Jalen Brunson uh, felt like he had to take it all upon himself. Right. And that's why he made that crucial turnover. Yes. He felt like he had to force it. Right. Because the rest of them, Josh Hart didn't want the ball. Mm-hmm. R.J. Barrett didn't want the ball. That's right. Okay. You know, he he was the only one that wanted the ball, and Julius Randle was wildly inefficient. Yep. Uh, Agreed. So they need to break it up. Tom Thibodeau, Monty Williams, you know, why why shouldn't Tom Thibodeau go? No, no, Michael, here's here's where you're wrong. The, the, the Knicks don't have a coaching problem. The Knicks have a superstar problem. I'm Daniel McCart. We'll get into that next here on The Fan. We have a mic, and you have a phone. Call the fan at 877-337-6666. Powered by Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com. Welcome back to The Fan on this Mother's Day Sunday. Happy Mother's Day to you and yours. And, of course, my own. She's already checked in, though. She got it. She got the message already. Happy Mother's Day, Ma. Um, Yeah, we were just talking uh, really about the Knicks and, and what needs to happen. And I, I got to tell you something. The Knicks, the Knicks don't have a coaching problem. They have a talent problem. Like, uh, I likened it to the, the, the Gerard Gallant haters. Like, I can't believe that people are calling for Tom Thibodeau's job, too. Like, the Knicks, again, don't have a coaching problem. They've got a talent problem. Like, A, in, in clutch situations, which is an actual category. Of all 16 teams that made the playoffs this season, the New York Knicks had the fourth worst turnover percentage in the playoffs. The fourth worst turnover percentage in the playoffs in the clutch. Now you tell me how that's Tom Thibodeau's problem. B, keeping with that theme, game on the line. We talked about it a little bit before. Who's the guy to take and make the final shot for the Knicks? Look at those teams that are still in the playoffs. The Heat have Jimmy Butler. The Lakers have LeBron James. The Celtics have Jason Tatum, who, oh, by the way, still with five minutes to go in today's Game 7, win, by the way, he became the new record holder for most points in an NBA history in a Game 7. Okay? So, who is it for the Knicks? Is it Randall? question mark? Is it Barrett? question mark? Is it Brunson, question mark? None of the above? Tell me how that's Tom Thibodeau's problem. C, in the playoffs, as it stands right now, the New York Knickerbockers have the worst three-point shooting percentage of every team that has participated in the playoffs. The Knicks shot a playoff 
worst. 29% from behind the arc. Tell me how that's a Tom Thibodeau problem. D, in the playoffs, as it stands right now, the New York Knickerbockers have the third worst field goal percentage of every team that participated in the playoffs. The Knicks shot 43%. 43% from the field. Tell me how that's a Tom Thibodeau problem. Call me up. Tell me what number Tom Thibodeau wears on his jersey so that next season I could do a better job and keep a closer eye on him. Because as a collective group, not as individual players, as a group, as a unit, this team did not show up when it mattered most. And you know what? You want Thibodeau gone? Let me tell you something. As a coach myself, there's only so much you can do with what you're given. Tell me what number Tom Thibodeau wears, because I'll be sure to check it out uh, when it comes to to turnovers in in in, uh, in the playoffs. Tell me, uh, you know, who's making that clutch shot in the playoffs. Tell me what number he wears so I can watch him in the three point shooting in the playoffs, in the field goal shooting in the playoffs. It's a talent problem. It's not a coaching problem. Tom in Roxbury, New Jersey, you're up on the fan. Hey, you know, I agree with you 100%. Anybody who thinks Tom Thibodeau's the problem, I mean, he should be coach of the year for what he did with this squad. Got him to the second round of the playoffs. Their their problem isn't the coach. They need a Steve Kerr type who you could dish the ball to and make a three-pointer. Yes. And they need a sixth man that they can bring into the game. Like when Derrick Rose was, was, was playing that role, he took over – the game. Yeah. They don't have that anymore. I mean, can Quigley do it sometimes? Can Toppin do it? Probably not. Josh you know, the guys they have just aren't consistent enough. Right. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, they don't need they don't need LeBron James. They don't need, you know, a superstar. They just need a couple of guys who know how to make a clutch shot. Yep. That's it. That's it. Because it's not Randall doing it. It's not Barrett doing it. And you saw in game six, right. Jalen Brunson, he, he he dished it. He didn't want that either. He didn't want that responsibility. Right. Hart, Hart had a wide open three at the end, and he, and he passed the ball. Yep. There's nobody stepping up for this team. You're right. Right. You're absolutely right there, Tom. Now, maybe in addition to Carl Anthony Towns, who would be not my number one, you, you got to look elsewhere. You got to look for a shooter. Because clearly, clearly. Every team in the play- playoffs has one. And the Knicks, who are home, don't. But again, tell me how that's a Tom Thibodeau problem. Duncan in Union, New Jersey, you're up on the fan. What's going on, Danielle? I, I love talking to you. Uh, you're amazing. Thank uh, you. I-, I need to preface my-, 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 my argument with that first because you're dead wrong. <laughs> Thibodeau is one of the worst playoff coaches in the history of the NBA. His, his track record shows that. Now, you're a coach. So if you, if you understand that X's and O's are what give those numbers that you so eloquently spat out before you took my call, 29% from three-point range yep. and, and the, the turnover percentage and all of that other jazz. Mm-hmm. That is really, you can't argue numbers. Men lie, women lie, but numbers don't. Um, so I'm not going to argue numbers, but I can't argue X's and O's. Thibodeau repeatedly does not put the Knicks in the best position to win over and over and over again. The Knicks were outcoached that entire playoff series against the Heat. 
even in the games that the Knicks won, you never felt like the Knicks were in the game. No, I disagree. Never. When you guys, when you when you have one player that outshoots the whole rest of the team, that's not a scheme. That's not an X's and O thing. Jalen Brunson hit more field goals in Game Six than the rest of the team combined. You tell me how that's a that's a coach's problem. I mean, you can talk about that particular game. You're you're isolating one game. The Knicks lost four games, so you're isolating one game. One I'm game isolating not, the most important game, playoff. the elimination game. Oh, no, that wasn't the most important game. The most important game was the third game of the series. The sixth game sent them home, but I guess we're splitting hairs here. No, I understand understand what you're saying, but in a seven-game series, the third game is the most important game. And the Knicks lost that game. The Knicks also, they they split the first first two games. The Knicks were outcoached. The only... Nah, the Knicks were outplayed. The first quarter of the first game was was the only time that the Knicks weren't outcoached. Spolstra, Spolstra uh, changed his philosophy, and Thibodeau didn't. Well, maybe Spolstra has the, has the guys to, to fit they, the changed philosophy. Well, I mean, you, you act like Miami has all of this talent. Miami doesn't have a bunch of talent. They've got Where, guys that have, but Duncan, they, they, they've got guys that have bought into the system. Julius Randle in that exactly. pivotal game three, okay, by I'm the way, ten that. points total. Where's the superstar? I'm glad you said that. But Miami has people that have players that have bought into the system. That's right. That's cultural. That's cultural. No, that's, that's attitude. Not, that's not Duncan, players. that's attitude. That's affect. So you you could have a superstar in your team that doesn't buy into your system, and you're screwed. And that's what's happening to Tom Thibodeau. You got Julius Randle, Mr. Mr. Pushface all the time. He scores 10 points in that pivotal Julius game Randall three. Julius Randle is not the superstar. Julius Randle is not the superstar. The best player on that team is Jalen Brunson. The best player since Jalen Brunson has been a Nick. He's been the best player on that team. Period. No handle Randall's been turning the ball over since he, 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 he just turned the ball over today and the Knicks haven't even played. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you can say it, it's about, it's about uh, players and all of that, but you can't make that argument yeah. after the Knicks lost to the Heat. No, and the Knicks Duncan, have you can. But, Duncan, you can, and I just did. When you got R.J. Barrett in that pivotal game three that you're talking about, he's got a plus-minus of negative 32, minus 32. That's a problem. That's not a coaching problem. That's a talent problem. Julius Randle shows up with a minus six and a whopping ten points. I mean, tell me what number Tom Thibodeau wears, and I'll, I'll be sure. I'll be sure. I'll be sure to make sure that I watch for him. Your stars did not show up. You cannot blame that on the coach. Ed and Elizabeth, you're up on the fan. Hi, Daniel. How are you doing? What's going on, Ed? Good. Um, I'm going to bring up something with Carl Anthony Towns that I've heard a lot of people today talk about that they, sh- they, they the Knicks should get him. What no one has brought up that he doesn't play defense. This, no, not that. But the point I'm bringing up is when he had issues with Jimmy Butler with Minnesota, he also had issues with Carl Anthony Towns. Now I know I know uh, Carl Anthony Towns high school coach pretty good is and the assistant coach. Mm-hmm. They said Carl Anthony Towns does not want to play for Tom Thibodeau. But I know it for a fact. Hmm. So p- people don't bring it up. You know, you got to bring, your, you gotta bring this, the facts to the table. He does not like Tom Thibodeau and doesn't want to play for him. Well, you've got that inside info there with the, the coaches that I, that I didn't have. But well, well, the thing is that, that what I'm trying to say is that all, all the sports reporters that have talked about it on the fan page need, need, to, need to know that stuff before they start talking about it. Well. For, how am I supposed to know that without oh, without your call? 
It, well, it was in the news in the past when when the Jimmy Butler. I remember reading. I remember reading about that, but I feel like that well, was like so far long ago that. What is what is it about him that he doesn't like? Let me ask you that. Now that you have the inside track, he just doesn't like Tom Thibodeau. He feels he overworks the players. Well, I mean that that's a good argument. But then the other the other thing I'll say back to that is, if you got the depth, maybe you don't have to overwork your players. Maybe you've got guys that you could trust to bring in to knock down a couple of shots while Jalen Brunson's off the court. Maybe he he's, he can come off the court. Maybe he doesn't have to stay out there for forty eight minutes a game. Nick in Arizona, you're up next here on the fan. Hey, Danielle, how's it going? What's going on, Nick? Not much. Um, I agree with a lot of the stuff you're saying. I think um, Randall's got to go, and we need to designate a leader on this team, and that's Brunson. Yes. R.J. Barrett is half asleep. He's asleep out there. Brunson is the leader, and it needs to be designated by the coach so that there's no confusion. And on those lines, I just want to give credit to his father, who seems to have raised a really good kid because John Morant's father is still a kid himself. He needs to put the beers down. He needs to start setting a good example for his kids and his grandkids. Yeah, I mean, what, what John Morant is doing is he is throwing away his, his career with, with this stupidity. And, and, and you wonder what's going on, what's not captured on social media. It starts with the parents. This guy's walking around the games with beers. He's obviously got a drinking problem. The apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. So, you know, it falls on the parents. I don't care how old somebody is, how much money they make. If they're not raised right, it doesn't matter. I mean, Nick, I don't, I'm not going to go so far as to tell, you know, to accuse somebody of having a drinking problem. But what I will say is this. If you are John Morant, okay, and, and and you've been suspended now twice, twice by the league for the same exact thing, brandishing a firearm on li- Instagram Live. You're throwing away your career. You clearly didn't learn your lesson the first time. You're throwing away your career. You're due to make $33.5 million next season. It, it could all go poof. It could go poof. Okay, it's just a shame. It's just a shame that you think that the first time around, like, oh, you know, my bad. My bad for brandishing a gun in a club and putting it on Instagram Live, posing with it and all that. My bad. Then you see it come out today. He is operating a vehicle with no hands while the passenger is filming him, and he's brandishing the gun in the same exact position as the last video that came out about him. The kid is throwing away his career. And when you look at R.J. Barrett, maybe it wasn't so bad now. Maybe it wasn't so bad getting R.J. Barrett as a consolation prize. Should we do one more? All right, let's go to Willie in Morristown, New Jersey. You're up there, Willie. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Big fan. Thanks for making it. So I just, real quick, back to the Knicks. You might have you may have touched on it. I just tuned in recently. Sure. Um, with all the intelligent people a part of the Knicks organization I just how did we not see that Julius Randle kind of kills everything uh, based on attitude not moving the ball and how much better we are without him on the floor like how do how do we miss that yeah I'm not sure because you know why you know why because that's not quantified in, in in data that's probably why 
and data analytics. Yeah, if, if we if when his stock was high at the trade deadline, when you know after being named an all star, yep. dropping forty five points in you know meaningless games, you know we would be in really good shape and in the conference finals if we just you know let Brunson run the show and give him pieces that can make some jump shots and play hard and play defense. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I know. It's so. But you know so what, though, let's, Willie. Uh, let's, Here's the thing, Willie. He he just got named uh, All NBA, third team All NBA. He he's got some value. Move him. Now's the time. Don't wait for the roller coaster to dip again. Sell high. Do it. Just do it. One hundred percent. I'm with you. Thank you for taking the call. Yeah. Thanks for making it there, Willie. I mean, he just got named third team All NBA. Julius Randle was, and you know what? Sell high. Do it. Eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. As we continue this discussion about the Knicks. Uh, and, and what their plan in the offseason will be. I feel fine with where the Yankees are at, provided that they are not a fully operational Death Star just yet in terms of roster construction. And uh, the Mets just closed it out in D.C. Game two of, you know, two and a half, or I mean one and a half. Uh, they beat the Nationals with a final score of eight to two. They are one game short of 500 now. Max Scherzer, pretty good outing, two hit ball. Um, and we'll continue with the calls at 877-337-6666. Go for it. Call the fan at 877-337-6666. Powered by Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com. And hanging with you for a little over one more hour when Lori Rubinson comes your way. Had a spirited debate over whether the problem is Tom Thibodeau, it's not, or whether it's the stars and the players not showing up. It is. Uh, that's my opinion. You give me yours, 877-337-6666. But uh, hanging out for a while is Tommy in New Hyde Park. He wants to talk about the Jets' schedule. And before we do that, a little interlude here. Uh, my friends and I, we are planning a trip to Buffalo. November, uh, I think it's November 19th, looked up the average temperature in Buffalo around then. It's it's not so bad. But the only thing that's kind of holding me back is that on November 19th, 2022, that's the, the big snowstorm that happened in Buffalo, the lake effect snow, that had the, the residents shoveling out the football players so they can get to their game. So I'm, I'm going to be, I guess I should bring my school computer just in case I do get stuck there. Um, but we are planning a trip up to Buffalo, and um, it's going to be for that game. You're afraid of the snow? My car it will not make it. I will be stuck there for two weeks. So I was thinking of flying. Not that that's – it's a little better. Well, what, what if, then you might be stranded up there if you fly. Well, then you get to rent a car home, and you can maybe figure it out. Four-wheel drive truck. But it's on the schedule. We might be going up to Buffalo. Fun times. Big Fun times group. up in Orchard Park. I'm not jumping into a table, though. I'll tell you that much. I'll come home with a broken arm and get stuck in the snow. It's not real. T- if you if you notice all those videos, it's not real tables. It's the ones that just magically fold in the middle, like the yeah, WWE yeah. and the and the uh, <laughs> pro wrestling prop tables that just so happen to split perfectly down the middle. Yeah, that's all that is. Yes, <laughs> there was some. We went to the the Bills Jets game at MetLife, and there were some in the parking lot broken. I'm not doing it. I'll watch others do it. Bills I, Mafia. I won't do it. <laughs> all right, Tommy, go ahead. What do you got for me? How are you, Danielle? Good. How are you? Uh, the next is debacle, whatever. Uh, it's been three days hearing over and over and over about him. It is what it is, and uh, we'll talk about it next year. 
Now, I want to ask about the Jets lineup, mm-hmm. the schedule. Mm-hmm. First of all, the first six game is pretty bad, right? What do you think? We'll go three and three or four and two. For six games, the Jets have Buffalo, Dallas, New England, Kansas City. Oh, that's that's a ooh, up until the bye week. That's uh, you. I think I think you got a good chance against Buffalo. I think you got a good chance against Dallas and New England. I would say three and three, three and three. Maybe you beat in Denver. Four and three, maybe. But you're not beating Kansas City. I don't think you're beating Philadelphia. No. Um, what do you think about the rest of the schedule? Good. I mean, if if you can get through that, if you can get to the bye week, you've got the Giants then, the Raiders. These are all easy wins, I think. Atlanta, Houston, Miami, Washington. Yeah, no, I, I feel really good about the Jets schedule. I, I'd say maybe 11 wins this year, maybe. I got a lot of people saying they're going to be 12-5, and five, but I'm not sure about that. Mm, I mean, let's see. Let's see how they come out against Buffalo. And that would be, for me, that would be the 12th, if they could beat Buffalo twice. Uh, what I hope. Aaron Rodgers does not get hurt in the first game like a Jets thing. Oh, that would be a disaster, Tommy. Don't even put that into the atmosphere. I don't know. I have to. That's the Jets. Oh, don't even. Tommy, don't even put that out there. Aaron Rodgers getting injured in the first game. Wash your mouth out with soap there, Tommy. Don't let that ever come across my air again. No, no, don't put that into the universe. But I will say that the, the NFL did royally screw up Monday night football. It's Jets-Buffalo. Really should have been Jets-Giants Monday night football, September 11th, week one. That, I don't know if I can get over that. That was too easy. That was too, that was a layup. And they failed. And I would like to know why. Let's go. Ben and Queens are up next here on The Fan. Here's the reason they failed on that. Dallas. Think about the the Giants' opening games the last six years. The NFL has a love thing with Giants and and the Cowboys opening the season. And since it's 9-11 weekend and we have to have America's team, Giants. Well, I'm just looking at 2022, they opened in Nashville. 2021, they opened home versus Denver. 2020, they opened home versus Pittsburgh. So, I mean... I don't know about that. But before that, it was something like three out of five years. It was Dallas. 2019 at Dallas, week one. 2018, home, Jacksonville. Okay, I'm wrong there. 2017 at Dallas. I mean, that's a while back. Now we're going a while back. Yeah, yeah. But but I I will say this. Unfortunately, the the caller is right about that thing I'm not going to mention. Because (laughs) think about us and Buffalo last year and what happened. And now you've got Monday night, 9-11. It'll be karma as a Jet fan, unfortunately, the way it works for us like that. But, but Don't even. To, ben, I'm going to cut you off. Let's Stop it now. <laughs> let's get to the three other points. One, I disagree with you with the Carl Anthony Downtowns thing. He's, he's Julius Randle. No, he's not. He, he, ben, he is. No, uh, no. He is much better than Julius Randle in every way. Every way. I, I Again, I'm not going to argue about this because here's why I'm not going to argue about this because he's not a good fit here either, and you, you'd find it out. I watched the Minnesota-Denver series. He essentially did what Randall did. He'd start out early hot, disappear, and then when it came for buckets late, 
not there. No, hey, no. All right, now Ben, the, hey, every every statistic, every measurable statistic of Carl Anthony Towns in the playoffs, career wise, is better than Julius Randle. I would take him any day on my team, any okay. day. But you already know me. I'm old school on this. I'm not into statistics. What my physical eyes watch. Sure. That's that's the difference between you and me here. But that's no problem because we're going to get into statistics again. And coach, if you're Domingo Herman, how are you feeling right now? Yeah, I was going to curse on the air here, but not great because your your, your manager doesn't have the confidence in you to to go deep into games. Go <laughs> like that's three times now. He hasn't pitched 90 pitches in the sixth inning. And this dude pulls him, and the, the, the Yankee bullpen, not in a couple of innings, blows it, not an inning after, almost immediately blows the game that he's been crafting. I just sometimes, sometimes, coach, I want to see Boone on that top step, and I just want to sit, sit your butt down. Just go back, sit your butt down. Don't you even. I saw him on that top step, and I went, he's going to pull Herman again. This is going to be yep. the worst. And you saw me on Twitter later like, what yep. the? Yeah, he, Ben, he, he does it all the time. He does it all the time. He's got such a, uh, to me, that's twofold. One, that shows your starting pitcher, and thanks for the call there, Ben. One, that shows your starting pitcher that, hey, you know, I don't have the confidence in you to continue deep into this game. And B, I'm going to call upon the bullpen and keep taxing the bullpen game in and game out. Where even you saw it last year, it was the strength of, of the Yankees was their bullpen. And then all of a sudden, it was gone to too many times, too often, for too long. And it, it, it was no longer a strength of that team. And you can't be playing those games here now with, with Jonathan Lewiska out. And you've got guys that are becoming back that haven't pitched yet this season starting pitchers. Rodon, who hopefully he, we see him this year, hopefully. Uh, um, and Severino. I mean, these guys aren't going to be able to go six innings into a game. They're just not right in the beginning. So that means it's going to be like a three-inning outing, then it built up to a four-inning outing, and then you're going to be using your bullpen. Then it, it, it's, 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 it's kind of mind-blowing to me that you're not, especially when he pulls Garrett Cole, you're not going to allow your ace to work out of a jam. I agree. He has. It, it, it's been a consistent complaint that I've had against Aaron Boone for, for, for as long as I remember. Back to Tanaka in, in a postseason. And then they ended up losing the game. 877-337-6666 is the number to get aboard. Quick break. A Pete McCarthy update. I'm Daniel McCartan with you till 9 here on The Fan. Your official station to talk Giants. The Fan, 1019 FM and always live on the free Odyssey app. Download it today. Welcome back to The Fan. My name is Danielle McCartan hanging with you for one more hour. Lori Rubinson will come your way then. Um, you know, I want to say just this. Um, I, I, yesterday, Saturday, I played in, uh, by the way, I love these Sunday shifts. Really, I really do. And because it allows me to have a little bit of a weekend. Because yesterday, I played in a charity softball game with a few of my, my teacher colleagues. And it was an event uh, where I teach in Franklin Lakes. And uh, it was to benefit the, the students that we serve each and every day. And uh, it was hot out yesterday. I got to tell you, it was hot. Um, I went one for three, which was not up to my standards. Um it was just hard to adjust. It was high arc. It was like 10 to 15 feet, I think, or 10 to 12 feet. I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot, but, like, it is. 
And so to adjust to that style of pitching, it, it, it was a lot. Uh, I popped up the first two, swung with this huge, like, uppercut, tried to meet the parabola of the ball, wasn't working. So um, I finally got the hang of it the third time around. And, um, yeah, that's that's the single that I hit. We loaded the bases. I loaded the bases, and then then uh, my friend Marissa struck out. My teacher friend Marissa struck out. Uh, but that's okay. It was just for fun, kind of. <laughs> uh, I played shortstop, but, like, I ended up, like, backing up kind of like to, like, what you would call short left field because the team we played against were absolutely nuking the ball, nuking it, like, to the forest, to the woods. Uh, but, you know, I did make some good plays in the field, I have to say. I, I, I had some pretty smart heads-up play. My arm felt great. My knee felt great. But we got absolutely crushed. But uh, it's for the kids, right? And uh, I'm a little sore today. Got to be honest. It was a, it was a lot of running. You Does know? that frustrate you if you lost? Even if it's for fun, yes. it has to frustrate you. I can yes. tell right now you're throwing your teacher friends under the bus. Yeah, Marissa struck out. Just right under the bus <laughs> to rename that there. Yeah, Marissa, if you're listening, well, never mind. <laughs> no, but, you know. Yeah, it bothers it's, me. It's, it's okay. You don't have to say it's for the. Of course, it's for, it's the, for kids. the kids. You don't have to say that. You want to win no matter if it's for I anything. Do. For anything, I yes. want to win. Yes, but early on, we realized we weren't gonna win. <laughs> early on, yeah. But uh, you know, hey, it was it was fun. Uh, some of the some of the, my my players on my team came. Some of the kids from school came, and it was fun. It was a fun time. It was, and um, for me, it's just a warm up. For me, for the big uh, WFAN softball game on June 17th, and I'm still trying to figure out which team I've been picked to, if or any yet, but uh, I'm supposed to be going to the batting cages tomorrow night, uh, the ones in Paramus, I think, so uh, we'll see, uh, we'll see. It's on It's on the plans for to go there tomorrow night, hit some balls, and maybe I should practice on the ones that have the high arc, I don't know, but usually I start in the lower speeds and work my way up to the, the if you've been there before. I'm not going to say the name of it, but you know what I'm talking about. The one all the way to the right, I work my way all the way over there by the end. So we'll see. I'm getting ready. Getting in game shape. So, June 17th, I'm coming for you. 877-337-6666. Back to the Knicks. Tom Thibodeau's not the problem. Players did not step up when the lights shined brightest. We go to Long Island City, and Mike, you're up on the fan. Hello, Danielle. Hey, Mike. Hi, good evening. How are you? Oh, good. How are you? I'm doing well. I got a couple of Nick points I wanted to bring up. Um, I'm a Thibodeau supporter just like you, and I don't think um, he, he should go anywhere. I don't think the series had his fault on it at all. I do have one question with uh, Coach Thibodeau. Mm-hmm. His in-game adjustments, I thought there were times in the series where Derrick Rose and especially Evan Fournier when the offense bogged down could have helped out quite a bit, especially Fournier. He's a knockdown three-point shooter. And when Brunson gets into yeah, the but those paint, guys haven't played. Even, it, it, those guys hadn't played uh, in weeks to to knock rust off in 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 the yeah, biggest that's, spot that's, possible. That's the coach's that's the coach's job to keep players ready, Danielle. You know, next man up. Yeah. Now, when quickly when quickly went out, they I even heard Derrick Rose say he was ready. He was game ready. Now you might hear or heard a different thing. Derrick Rose said he was ready to go. I didn't hear it at all, but I believe you. Yeah. Right, so I mean that's part of you know we quickly went out the offense bogged down at least quickly when he's in there we pick up the pace a little bit, mm. and Derrick Rose is able to get to where he wants to get to on the floor, and Fournier just for the sake of God we had nobody shooting threes Fournier is a knockdown shooter, maybe I'm wrong but I thought Thibodeau could have gave it a look, 
because we got real predictable at a point. I, 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 I get th- that. Yeah, I get that. And and when you look at Evan Fournier, though, I mean, he he hadn't he didn't play. He and his his three point percentage is only thirty percent. The Knicks hit like twenty eight percent of them, so it's not a big improvement. So maybe Rose, I'll give you, but Fournier is a no from me for sure. Well, okay, I, I, I agree with you on that, but Fournier supposedly his whole career was a three-point knockdown, three-point shooter. No, not this I think season. because of inactivity, maybe the percentage went down, maybe. you know, just being rusty. Not this but my sec- season. My second point, um, this Julius Randle, you keep bringing up the point about Julius Randle for Carl uh, Towns. First of all, they don't even play the same position. They played together in college. Randle's a power forward. And Carl Towns is a center since high school. Yeah, but he was he's now, playing he wanna, a four. He's playing a four this year. He's playing the four now because they made a bad trade for Rudy Gobert. I agree. They wanted two big guys. But Carl Anthony Towns has been a center since grade school. So then you so put Kate, Kate, the, but you just push Mitchell Robinson to the four. You could do that. You could Mr. Have, Robinson to the four. Are you kidding me? You could have them switch yes. off. Daniel, that's the worst thing I've ever heard you say. Mitchell Robinson cannot score, and you want to move him to the four? No. Mitchell Robinson crashes the boards and pulls down offensive rebounds better than anybody on that team, including Julius Randle. No, that's not going to work. You can't have Mitchell Robinson and Carl Towns in the same starting lineup. Nobody would do that. No coach would do that. So so how are you getting Carl Anthony Towns here, then? Tell me that. Well, I'm just saying, if you want a call to come here, he would have to be the center. Well, I'm just saying, Robinson. who are you putting in a trade package? Because I'm sending Randall. To get, I'm driving him to the airport. Well, I mean, I can understand you wanting to get rid of Randall, but it doesn't help us to bring another center with Carl Towns and have him play out of position. You know, this year he played out of position, and he didn't look so well. And he started taking becoming a three-point shooter because he's playing on the perimeter now. He needs to go back to his regular position center Maybe we could do a package with uh, Robinson and Barrett and something else, but you cannot have Robinson and and Carl Towns in the same lineup. Mm. No way in hell. No way. Mm. No way. That's two centers, and we need shooting. You're going to have two guys that belong in the low post, and then you got Barrett who can't shoot. You got Grimes still um, unproven, and you still got Brunson having to do everything. So I'm looking at I'm looking at Carl Anthony Towns. And tw- when he was a center, when he was a five, and when he was a, when he was a four, the stats are negligibly different. Meaning, no, really, no different, no drop off. Danielle, the only reason they moved him to four because they made a bad. I understand trade that. I, I said that before. I said it myself before. I did say that. But I'm telling you, you're telling me there's a huge drop off in his stats, and there's really not. There's not. All right, so look, if you want to start playing people out of if you want to start playing people out of positions, go ahead and do it. I think that's a terrible idea. I well, think that's he's much more think. efficient, much more efficient at a center. He's not though, but, he, but he's not. Him. I'm looking at it. He, I'm, I am looking at it. You're looking at one year. You're looking at a short, short term. I'm looking at his his whole life. Well, I'm As looking at high school, I'm looking, college. I'm looking at the yeah. one year he played power forward, and I'm comparing it, Mike, against the season last, the, the All Star season he had, the All Star season he had as the five. The numbers they're negligibly different. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're not different. In other words, actually, his free throw percentage went up as a four. The rest of them are pretty much the same. Two point percentage, four hundredths of a point off. I mean, it's 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 silly to argue this. I'm bringing him in here. Matt in Albany, you're up next here on The Fan. Hi, Danielle. Love your show. Thanks, Matt. I want to make a couple quick points about the Knicks. I know you're not a Julius Randle fan. Um, I like the 
I like the physical edge he gives the first. I agree. Uh, listen, Mike, like- uh, Matt, Matt, I don't, I don't hate him. I just don't think the Knicks can make it to the next level with him on the team. Okay, well, he's got to change a couple things. He's got to stop the jump pass, and he's got to recognize double teams faster. If he could do those two things, it would help his game out a lot. And be a better teammate. How's, how about that? You don't find yeah, that in the stat book. Yep, and then they need to keep Josh Hart. He gives that physical element on the second unit. Yep, they I like him. They need a modified short shooter that can play defense. If they don't get someone that can play defense, he's going to ride the bench just yep. like Borneo did yep. this year. I agree. So if they can do those things, and I, one more thing. Yeah. Someone to work with Mitch Robinson. Give him an incentive contract. Get the guy to sh- give him fifty grand and fifty grand if he shoots over sixty-five percent from yep. the line next year. I like that. And give him a hook shot or something like that. Someone's got to give him a little bit of an inside game and, and get him involved. More <laughs> Let me call game. up. Who is it? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the sky hook. Yeah, right. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's what I wanted to say. I think the Knicks are just maybe a sharpshooter away, a bona fide sharpshooter that plays defense. And a, and a superstar big man that doesn't wilt in the lights in, in the you prime time. Yeah, and here's the only two things. Brunson and Randler are two of the best deals money-wise in the NBA for what the production is. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So yeah. They're, they're in a good position. Even if they keep those guys, they're in a good position to go forward, I think, with, with just a couple of tweaks and uh, a sharpshooter. Trade your number one for a bona fide NBA sharpshooter. Uh-huh. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the Knicks are knocking on the doorstep. I really do. And, you know, when you get this far, you want to win it. I get it. But, like like you said, they they are missing. Like I said before, who's taking the shot when it matters most? You can't point to any one of the Knicks. You might want to say Brunson, right? But he dished it off to Randall and turned it over in game six. Done deal. So, you know what I mean? George, in Winter Park, you're up on the fan here, George. Thank you for taking my call. Thanks for making it. Yeah. Yeah, just what I was just before we talked about the Knicks. Uh, I heard you talk about the NFL, the early game. Yeah, I would not touch the Giants this year because I have no idea what they're going to be. They they do have the top the top coach in the league, one of the top coaches. Yep. But I don't know what this team is really going to look like with all the additions of the uh, offense and defense. Well, it, it, it's and, and it also depends on Saquon Barkley and what he decides to do because they're at an impasse with him. Um, he turned down a $14 million offer from the Giants. I mean, he said he didn't want to be one of those elite paid running backs, but here he is down, turning yeah, down a $14 million deal. What does he want? He's, he's doing good. mixed signals here. Well, you got Jones, too. Is he top? Is he just hit his peak or is he no, going to get better? He's on the uptick. I, I've always been a Daniel Jones fan. Always. Yeah. That was what he has should be better. Now, getting to the Knicks, what Damian Lillard mm-hmm. wants to get out of Portland, yep. I think he would be a great He's addition. a good fit, too. Yep. I mean, I, he said it's, I don't. I know he's up to 31, 32 years old, but, you know, if they can't get towns, I don't know, you know, it's easy to say, oh, look, I'm not a, against Thibodeau, I'm not Poor Thibodeau, I don't know. You know, sometimes I think I'm against him, sometimes he's not <laughs> for him. But, uh, you know, I like Lillian. I think they ought to look into getting him before they go after Towns. And uh, that's, can I just make one more thing on the sure. Yankees? What bothers me, and I saw this, I was looking at Oswald Cabrera's numbers. Mm-hmm. Last year he came up. And I'm looking at the stats. The first two or three weeks, he was doing nothing. 
toward the end of the season, he hit over 330. Mm-hmm. He hit over 300. He brought his batting average up to to 246. He left. He didn't do good in the playoffs. Neither did anybody else. This year, he started off slow again. Yep. The last the last 15 games, he hit 227. The last seven games, he's hitting 364. 364. Two home he's runs, eight RBIs. Runs. Yep. He, he had he had great series against two great series yep. against Stan Buff. He's played left field, so he made a great what, catch today too in left field, diving grab. Yeah, so I'm I'm wondering what's going on, and then I found this quote from. I like to just take about five seconds to read this quote from from Brian Cashman. Go ahead. He's talking about uh, left field. He says, "Give him a chance to build on practice." Had made the last two games the left field competition. This is in between Hicks, Floral, and Corbera. Is because of Hicks' talent and experience. I would not be surprised if he emerges emerges out of there because he's healthy. This guy never intended to trade for a left fielder. He is Hicks all the way, yep. and they still have Hicks on that team. Yep. And they're going to put him in the outfield again, and they're going to screw around with Donaldson. Yep. This okay. team has a really great lineup now. They're putting up runs, but it's not enough. Hicks is – I'm frustrated. What can I tell you? Yeah, there? I know, George, and it's, it's, it goes back to Brian Cashman not wanting to admit mistake. And that, that's – I don't know when that quote was from, but that's um, – I believe it. You know, I believe it. Cabrera, I, I didn't love him in left field at the end of last year. He had a lot of room for growth, especially, you know, in the postseason and the run-up to it. But he were, clearly he's a hard worker. He's getting on base, and he's making it so they can't take him out. And boy, oh boy, he, he better not come out. He better not be the guy that gets dropped off this lineup when Josh Donaldson's ready to come back. He better not be. Let's go to Raymond in Danbury, Connecticut. You're up on the fan. Hi, Danielle. How are you today? Great. How are you, Raymond? You do a great job. Thank you. And I have two daughters, so go, girl. Okay? <laughs> All right. My daughter's a teacher like you in Boston. That's great. Uh, anyway, I just want to talk about the 9-11 game. I kind of disagree with you. Obviously, 9-11 happened in New York, so they want to have a New York team. The only New York team, in my opinion, is Buffalo, in my opinion. If you had the Jets and the Giants, it's kind of like Jersey versus Jersey, but that's my opinion. No, I, I don't think that's a fair fair way to do that. I mean, it says New York Jets. It says New York Giants on their uniforms, and I get it. They both play in Jersey. I get it. Um, but no, that that was a that was a, that was a miss. That was a swing and a miss on that. Jets and Giants from the Meadowlands, you could see New York City. You could see it. You could see the World Trade Center from the top row of MetLife Stadium. Uh, you know where you know when it was. You know you could see Lower Manhattan, I should say, from the top row of MetLife Stadium from the lights. That was a home run. That w- that was it. They played each other for the first time in how many years during the regular season? Prime time. Two New York teams. You know, have the Jets wear FDNY hats, the Giants wear NYPD hats, and Port Authority. You know, it, it was just too easy. That was just too easy. Have them wear special patches on their uniforms. They they couldn't come through. NFL really struck out on that one. Bob and Long Branch, you're up next here on the fan. Yeah, good job tonight. Thanks, Bob. Just want to speak about the uh, how long are they going to go with this? Uh... Gosh, Schmidt is the starting pitcher. His ERA is approaching seven. It is, yes. Well, you know what? As, they're going to go as long with him as a starting pitcher until either Severino comes back the end of May or Rodon comes back and never. 
So they need that yeah. roster spot filled by somebody, and, and apparently they yeah. think Clark Schmidt's the best option. I don't know. How about how about this Debbie Garcia? Whatever happens, why not bring him up? Yeah. Give him a couple of starts. Yeah, maybe. I don't know how many how many times they've moved him up and down off the top of my head. Maybe yeah, he's had options. Like a bounce, like I don't know. A Ball, yeah. yeah, I don't know. And then uh, the, maybe. Then again, today with Boone and the bullpen, what again. is it with him and what is it with him and Abreu? Mm-hmm. I don't know. What is it with him and Abreu? First out of the pen today. Yep, he Abreu, comes in and you're like, oh boy, you hold yeah, your breath. And a grand slam. Yep. Yeah. And then, you know, they let him go once before. It's time for him to go again. Yes, sir. It's, it's time for him to go. Who's that, Abreu? Abreu. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah he, I, he's not the answer. First uh, out of the pen today. Yeah, grand slam. Yep. All right, I know. I want to hear, hear your comments. It, yeah. and and as far as Hicks is concerned, he's still on the team. Yep. And like you say, uh, Cashman doesn't want to admit it that he made a big mistake by giving him that seventy million dollar contract because you know what? Nobody nobody wants him. Yep. He he can't give him away. Uh, All right, you have right. A, have a have a good night. Yeah, uh, thanks. You too, there, Bob. Definitely. Uh, it's just that they don't want to admit mistake. I don't know. Davy Garcia, arm issues, all that. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, Clark Schmidt is going to be moved into the bullpen once a starting pitcher returns. Uh, mark my words. All right. Uh, it's coming up next. I'm excited to bring this to you. I have coming up next to wrap up the New Jersey Devils season. We've talked football, baseball, uh, basketball, and now let's add a little hockey. To wrap up the New Jersey Devils season, which ended just a few days ago, and, and since the last time I've talked to you, Mr. Devil himself, Ken Danico, will join me, Danielle McCartan, next. We're right known for being fans. polite, so we give you a chance to talk too. Call the fan at 877-337-6666. Powered by Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com. We're talking with a great friend of the show, a three-time Stanley Cup champion, New Jersey Devil, Mr. Ken Danico. Ken, thanks for joining us again today. Always a pleasure, Daniel. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing fine, thank you. (laughs) All right, we'll start with the Carolina series. Um, What was the turning point for you in that Carolina Hurricane series? Oh, boy. I I don't know if there was a turning point. I I think it was obviously starting down 0-2 again, I guess you would have to say. I mean, just uh, getting, getting themselves to understand after an emotional seven-game series against your arch-rival and only having a day in between uh, to get your your engine going again to a level that it needs to be. And uh, I think they were caught a little off guard, as good as Carolina is, and, and they're a swarming team, great defensive team. They were well-rested. It's not an excuse. It's a fact. And and their game plan and preparation was, was excellent, and they certainly put the Devils behind the eight ball before they kind of got back in the series briefly with the, with the game three win. Jack Hughes said yesterday, he said, we let a couple of games slip away from us uh, in regards to that series. So, I don't know, you're, you're a player. Something like that, is the onus on the players? Is it on the coaching staff? Is it on the scheduling? No, I, I, just, I, just, well, I, I just think it's a – a combination of understanding and experience what it takes to to play grueling playoff hockey where 
Um, you, you win around, you have a tough seven game series against a real good team and, and obviously emotional series that I had mentioned uh, against your rival. There's always a little more at stake anytime you're playing, uh, playing a team that, uh, you know, is your biggest rival and then getting ready. Yeah. The scheduling would have helped. I think if they had a day in between uh, an extra day in between, shall I say, but it is what it is. That's, that's, uh, what you have to prepare for as far as, being able to get your mind and physically and mentally as far as uh, ready to go right out of the gate because, you know, the Carolina Hurricanes are going to be ready and they just got a little uh, a little overwhelmed, I guess I would say, in the first game or two in Carolina. And, and that's taking nothing away from Carolina. They're just such a well-coached, uh, uh, very structured team that, that doesn't give you a lot of time and space on the ice. And, and it took the Devils a little time to adjust, but that, that's part of it. That's part of playoffs. That's part of a young team learning. You never want to say you, you, you think you can go uh, as far as possible, regardless of experience, and it's happened before, but uh, every once in a while it rears its ugly head, in my estimation, that, yeah, you got to ramp right up again and, and be even better the next series, and it took them a little too long here to – to get going, I, I thought their game five was excellent and uh, probably deserved a better fate. And if they get it to a game six, you never know what can happen. It was coming back home. But uh, it didn't materialize. They end up losing that game in overtime. And and here we are. But uh, it was an excellent season for the team for the most part. A little bittersweet because it's always crushing and disappointing when you lose in the playoffs. I speak from experience regardless where your team's at. But but the team definitely took took huge, huge strides. Yeah, Ken Danico joins us on the fan. You know, because they weren't supposed to be there, I guess, I, obviously it doesn't lessen the blow of, this, of, of the loss um, in the playoffs. But over the past couple of days, what are the Devils feeling having experienced it yourself? Yeah, I, I just empty. You have an empty feeling. Like I said, bittersweet. You're excited the the progress you've made as a team, as an organization, for sure. And and they did. I mean, to come from 63 points to 112, I believe it was, and and win a playoff round. You know, you should be real proud of yourself. No question about it. But uh, it doesn't lessen the blow of of losing. That's the bottom line. And you have to remember that feeling. And the old saying, I I hate it, but it's true. Sometimes you have to. You have to lose or learn how to lose before you continue to win and, and win it all. And you have to go through that grind. And you remember that feeling next year if you get in that same position. That we have to be be ready right from the jump, right from the get-go as far as if you're moving on our series around. It's a new team, new, new way they play. And you've got to be prepared for that. And uh, I think that's part of the growing Growing pains is part of the experience of, of playoffs. I mean, and you've got to, I also say, Daniel, you, you got to be able to win games in the playoffs when you're not at your best because you're not going to be at your best every night. It's impossible. And when we see momentum swings in games and in periods, whatever it may be, or game to game, we're seeing that throughout these playoffs. One team wins 5-1, the next night the other team wins 5-1. That's playoff hockey. That's the unpredictability. But you have to be able to, and I, and I speak from experience from some of the championship teams I was on and being fortunate to be on was it, it, some nights you don't have your legs or have the same energy that you need or, or want uh, compared to some other games in the playoffs, and you have to just 
play a p- more patient game, positionally sound, and that's all part of the part of the process. I, I, I know, like I said, the teams I played on, and we were uh, going four grueling rounds and winning Stanley Cups. You know, there was nights where we were maybe seventy-five percent uh, uh, of our best, but we could still find a way to win two to one, three to two, and that's all part of the learning process. Just based on this past season, just this last season. Were the Devils the best team in our area of the three? Well, they went to the second round, so I guess you'd have to say yes. But, <laughs> I mean, that's all what it's all about is is, is advancing, winning. And, and I thought it was fantastic that all all three teams in the Met, uh, the metropolitan area, Jersey, New York, metropolitan area, made the playoffs. We, we haven't seen that much, but I always think it's so great for hockey in the area. And, and obviously uh, – all three teams didn't go as far as they would have liked, but uh, the Devils did make it the second round. So, you know, they, like I said, they, they should be proud, but but you should have a burning desire to, to take it a step further. It's not easy just making the playoffs. So I, I thought it was fantastic. It had been a long time since all three all three teams had made the playoffs, and, and, and it just creates such a great buzz uh, for, for our game of hockey and certainly in the area uh, along the way. So... We'll see what transpires next year. It changes. Other teams get better and, and improve, and there's just no no guarantee, no given that you can even get in. It's not easy to get in. That, another thing is regular season in playoff hockey, as people say, is different. And it's getting on a roll at the right time. You look at the Florida Panthers, uh, President's Trophy winners last year, uh, not uh, as built for the playoffs they thought, and they made some changes, barely got into the playoffs, but they were rolling in, and now look where they are. They're more, a little more built for the playoffs. So it's it's really a, a intricacy that you have to figure out is you got to get there. and But come playoff time, teams game plan for a seven-game series, and, and the, the ice shrinks, as they say, and it's, it's tougher tougher hockey to play in. So it's having that balance of getting in and then having a playoff team as well uh, once you move forward. A win over the Hurricanes would have set up a date with those Florida Panthers. I don't know what if, but do you think the Devils could have taken that series based on matchups? Well, look, I mean, uh, it's hypothetical and obviously a difficult one to answer. Florida's playing extremely well right now, but after you get past the second round, you always believe for sure. And, and yeah, you have to make adjustments, uh, like I said, series to series, round to round along the way. So, you know, I, I couldn't even speculate, but when you get to an Eastern Conference final, you always, you always think you, you can, you know, do what you need to do and make adjustments to, to win. So I, I think it would have been a terrific series, but I, I will say Carolina and Florida should be a fantastic series as well because both teams uh you know are, are very good on the four check and they don't leave a lot of room for for guys to maneuver out there so something will give in this series but it's going to be an interesting one i'm kind of looking forward to that series because i think right now this year anyway those two teams in the playoffs have been the best two teams and and uh, that's why they're in the eastern conference finals ken danico is with us on the fan um 10 of the 24 devils uh, entering the playoffs, had never played in a playoff game. So what lessons can this team take away from this Stanley Cup playoffs? Well, again, I go back to, to understanding the grind. And 
and just you, you have to stay even keeled and you can't get emotionally too high after winning a game or a series or emotionally too low after getting blown out. And we saw a little bit of a, you know, it was a little bit of a strange playoffs and that was part of the learning curve for the Devils. It was, they, they won by a lot uh, on occasion and they lost by a lot <laughs> in some of these games and, and let things unravel in certain games. And kind of, I think what Jack Hughes maybe alluded to that, you know, just, uh, we let things slip in certain games and series, and and maybe that's what transpired. And what you learn is, is that again, patience, as they say, is a virtue sometimes in games and series. And take what's given you, don't force things. And if, and I think that happened a little bit against Carolina at times, with the exception of Game Three, where they they found their offense and they had Carolina on their heels, and that's the game they played during the regular season. But but you can't uh, force things, and I think maybe they forced a little much in the middle because they were a team speed transition, and sometimes come playoff time, that's not going to be there as much. And when they had success against the Rangers, they had a couple of shutouts and were able to turn things around after going down 0-2 and, and getting thumped pretty good in those first two games is they stayed patient. They played a very tight defensive game and kind of wait for your opportunities a little bit more at times and be – support the puck a little better. Uh, and I think at times Carolina, who is defense is probably the best in the National Hockey League, top to bottom, do a great job in the neutral, jo- neutral zone standing up. And, and those are things and lessons you learn along the way, how you have to play game to game in a certain series, a different matchup, whatever it may be. But uh, what what I learn all the time is how much it's, it, it stings when you lose. And you don't want that feeling again, and you want to take that next step. And I use a prime example, and we've mentioned this a million times, and everybody else says when we lost in double overtime in 94 to the Rangers, it was all about next year and the playoffs. We we didn't have a particularly great year. We got in the playoffs, but we were a team that was able to turn the switch on. We came that close, and we were able to win the cup the following year where I think we lost four games all all playoffs and went 16-4. Because we were that rare team that we knew what it took. We had the same, pretty well the same group. And we learned from the year before, not closing it out in game six, maybe getting a little tight. And uh, an epic game seven, that can go either way. So the, all these little things add up. But uh, the most important is the the desire and the uh, the will and the heart. I mean, we can talk about skills, skill and X's and O's and all those things. And you need that stuff. But it's... It's the will to win and and to hate to lose. And and certainly you learn from that and you don't want that feeling again if you get another opportunity to advance further. Yesterday, Jack Hughes called the season remarkable and John Marino said it exceeded expectations. In a word or a phrase, how would you describe the season in Newark this year? Progress. I mean, and and yes, this young group played their hearts out all season long. No question about it. I mean, they should be proud. I mean, there's no question. Uh, proud, but with one eye on how disappointing it was. And I think they all were. You know, I saw them in the breakout, uh, breakup uh, meetings yesterday. And, you know, they, they were proud of what they accomplished as far as, again, the biggest turnaround in regular season history as far as points. I mean, going from, from like I said, 63 points to 112 uh, none of us could have expected that. So, yeah, did they exceed expectations? Absolutely. But when you get there, you don't care about all those numbers. You just want to win, and you have to – you have, you know, it hurts. And I think all those guys were still 
kind of uh, kind of just sulking in and, and you know numb a little bit uh, after you're out because you want to continue to play. That's the bottom line. Uh, Ken Danigo, 40 years of Devils with us on the fan. Uh, John Marino also said yesterday that a lot of good came from this season and a lot to look forward to. But you kind of alluded to it before. There's, there's, it's a team with a lot of unrestricted and restricted free agents. So, you know, objectively speaking, which two or three guys would you prioritize moving into next year? Well, I mean, obviously Tom Fitzgerald has his work cut out for him, but him and his, him and his staff have just done an excellent job. I can't say enough about uh, what uh, Tom had done this year as far as the turnaround and uh, adding the right pieces and, and, and giving the coaching staff and everybody in the organization the support and players they need to take the next step. And obviously that means uh, the culmination of all the, the young draft prospects. Uh, you don't make the playoffs for a long time. You better be drafting well. You better be developing well. And I think they did it. Uh, just a great job, and we saw so many players grow and and get better and better. But as far as you know, you're not going to be able to keep everybody. That's the bottom line. Every team goes through the same situation. Uh, you have to be uh, a, a mathematician to to figure out the cap and everything else and what makes sense now, but keeping one eye. Uh, on the future as well, so you have sustainable success. That's where I think uh, Fitzgerald's done a great job. But for me, in a roundabout way, um, you know, I think Timo Meyer is a big part moving forward. I, I, I'm, you know, hoping they can figure that out because, you know, he just brought an element of physicality and playoff type player that I, I think you need uh, this, especially come playoff time. Uh, yeah, he didn't score as maybe as much as he liked. He got it going a little bit against Carolina, but he was very impactful in the Rangers series. I mean, had plenty. He was snake bit. Shesterkin's an incredible goalie, best in the league in my opinion. And he had about 37 shots, just couldn't score. But man, for a guy that didn't score, he had as much impact as I've seen. And and he was coming along, like I said, as far as scoring some big timely goals against Carolina just wasn't enough. So he the guy, he's a guy I know he's restricted, and I know they still have his rights for a year, and they'll figure that out along the way. But I, I would hope they could get him signed long term. I know they've uh, it's been a trying time, an up-and-down time as far as trying to get Jesper Bratt uh, long term, but he had an excellent season. A little, little tougher time come playoff time, but a lot of times that happens with young players, and you know, he's he's part of the core, and let's hope that they can figure that out. But those would be obviously my two priorities. Another guy, uh, he's restricted, and I, I, I think they'll get it done, who just made huge strides as Michael McLeod. He was absolutely outstanding uh, later in the season and during these playoffs, maybe the most consistent devil of all. And I think he's figured it out. Sometimes it takes a player five years to understand what they are, what they're capable of, and he was a guy that really – you know, really shined. I, I just thought he really took his game to another level. And, you know, now he's even more confident from an offensive standpoint. You know, as a fourth liner, he, he was that guy that can skate and get in the forecheck, physical. He also sticks up for teammates. I love that. You still need that even in today's game. Uh, but he found that new offensive player, and he was a first-round pick. And, he, he, you know, uh, I think he's balanced out his role and what, uh, he's capable of and, you know, could move up the depth charts as far as being a, a real good third-line player on a team that uh, has 
visions of winning a Stanley Cup. Ken Danico, three-time Stanley Cup champion, New Jersey Devil, joins us. My final question here, Ken, is let me set it up here. The Devils set an NHL record with a 49-point improvement from last season. They finished with the third-best regular season uh, record in the league, and they set a franchise record with 52 wins and 112 points. Is there a world in which Lindy Ruff does not win the Jack Adams Award? Well, look, yeah, I mean, it's well-deserved. And, Lindy, I've said it all year long and said it on the broadcast. The coaching staff was outstanding. And I I certainly give a lot of credit to all all the assistant coaches as well because they had a lot of new faces. And Sergey Breland was huge. He's a three-time cup champ. He knows what it takes in these situations. McGill was great with the defense and improving in that area as well as Andrew Burnett and the offense we saw come alive all season long. So uh, all those guys were, were a huge factor, as Lindy Ruff was. Uh, but I, I would look, for me, still, it's a regular season award. Uh, I hope he wins it, obviously. I'm biased, but I would think Jim Montgomery of the Boston Bruins is probably the front runner in my estimation. I mean, the season the Bruins have had is remarkable. I know a big disappointment come playoff time. Uh, but the award is not voted on during <laughs> during uh, the playoffs. It's, it's already already voted on after the regular season, and and they had a great year. So uh, I I would that's just my my uh, guess is Jim Montgomery's probably going to win the Jack Adams Award in my opinion. I was afraid you'd say that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, Ken, I won't let you go on this Mother's Day. Thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Daniel. I always love being on with you. Have a great day. Welcome back to the fam. My name is Danielle McCartan. I got some tweets on the break. Uh, one especially from uh, Brian Erdhart. He said, thank you, thank you, thank you for Devil's Talk with Dano. That was awesome. And I've got Paul right now putting that on demand. So if you missed it, go ahead. Tonight, today, tonight, slash tonight, it's been a very busy show. Um, I came on right after the Yankees lost with a final score of 8-7 to seven to the Tampa Bay Rays. You know, what I liked about the Yankees today was they they, they had some fight in the team. You had um, Abreu give up a grand slam in the fifth, and the Yankees didn't give up. Okay, this is this is the new-look Yankees, I, and I don't know what changed inside that clubhouse. Maybe there was a caller before who suggested um, maybe Anthony Rizzo stepped up in there. I, I happen to think that it coincides nicely with the return of Harrison Bader from the I.L., I don't, I don't know, but whatever is happening inside that clubhouse, the Yankees have a heartbeat. The Yankees are clawing their way back. And, you know, obviously it's going to take a lot to overtake the Rays, but it's a long season, and they won't meet again. It just makes July 31st, August 1st, and August 2nd even that more exciting. But I liked what I saw from the Yankees, and maybe I'm being too optimistic. I don't know, but I like what I saw, the fight, the desire, and, and quite frankly, Aaron Judge was a foot short uh, giving us some extra free baseball earlier today. Uh, Mets dropped the first one, well, first half of one, and then they, they ended up trouncing the Washington Nationals 8-2. to two. Contributions all over the place, up and down the lineup, which was great. Uh, so I won't see you next week. It's, uh, it's my birthday on Wednesday, so we're going to have a little birthday celebration, a little birthday shindig next weekend. So uh, I appreciate you, and I will see you, I'm sure, the weekend after that. Thanks to all the callers. Could not have done it without you. And I love coming here and talking with you. Thanks for hanging with me for the past, I don't know, four hours or so, a little less. If you missed any portion of tonight's show, hit that Odyssey Rewind feature and select the start, which was around 5.30-ish, 5.20. 
Great job to Connor Green, to Paul Rosenberg behind the glass, and to Pete McCarthy on updates. I will see you again the weekend after next. Happy birthday to me. Actual birthday is Wednesday, May 17th. So we'll keep in touch between now and next time at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.com slash Coach McCarthy. We'll keep the conversation going. Lori Rubinson, up next. Radio 101.9 FM. W-A-N-A.